Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati, ready to rip it up. Recording Tuesday, publishing Wednesday. Catch me, Buzz. Going to talk a little Ian Book, Dolphins, Saints. And then we are going to take a look at the draft classes for all 32 NFL teams after round one. I have to go a couple episodes back to hear our first round observations, reactions, confidence level, etc. Then back into the show, interviews with Mississippi State cornerback Martin Emerson and Purdue edge defender George Karloftis. Let's get it. We didn't need an island game to find out Ian Book sucks. Whoa. He's a rookie. Come on. Got to give him 10 more starts at least. <laughs> Did you see the stat? I, I'm obviously overreacting and I'm just making fun of Ian Book because no, he's no. a golden domer and so are you. But did you see the stat that in the last 24 games, Notre Dame quarterbacks are 0-24? I did. I, I did in fact see that. Last win, friend of the pod, Brady, back in, Brady Quinn, back in 2012. Um, that is a Deshaun Kaiser stat, though, in my opinion. That's Fair. not a Notre Dame quarterback of course, stat. Of course. That is 15 of those were our boy Deshaun, sadly. One of those, Ian Book, last night. And it's actually why I'm bullish on the prospects of Notre Dame because they really didn't have great quarterback play over the past decade, over the Brian Kelly era. Uh, so I'm not terribly surprised that the quarterbacks that they did produce, they got to the NFL, well, they didn't win a lot. Man. They have Keaton Slovis now. They do not have Keaton Slovis now. It's <laughs> a pit. Um I will say I'm not sure it's turning around anytime soon. I don't yeah. think Jack Cohn's going to change that narrative at the next level. I don't think Ian Book's changing that at the next level. So, uh, sadly, Notre Dame, not the quarterback haven it no. may have once been. The takeaways I had, obviously Ian Book in this offense was horrendous. Brian Flores was in his bag. They win seven straight. Miami Dolphins on a heater on their way to the playoffs. Jalen Waddell continues to look phenomenal. I think you had him as what already a top 15 receiver in the yeah, NFL. I has a blowback on that. Does he not look like a top 15 receiver? Like, that guy gets open at will. He's awesome. And, yeah, they've kind of neutered him in that offense. And I think that's almost, like, boosting his stocks, the fact that the thing he was kind of billed as, known for, coming out of Alabama, or not known for, but, like, he was billed as a deep threat. That's what he was mm -hmm. at Alabama. That's why you're drafting him top 10. The people were like, who's better, him or Henry Ruggs? To me, it wasn't even close. He was a much better prospect than Henry Ruggs. Because of this, Henry Ruggs could not do what he is doing right now in the underneath intermediate route running game. Been uber productive. And yeah, he's averaging under 10 yards catch, but like he's catching balls left and right and moving the chains. That's what he's doing. High scrape. And it's not, I mean, but it's also like the role he plays, right? He's averaging less than 10 yards of catch because he's not like running a ton of downfield well, stops. It's because well, that's what that offense has to fucking yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you try to run him on a deep post, a double move. The offensive line is going to get too Austin Jackson is going to be sacking Tonga Valoa himself by yeah, the time he gets open honestly. down the field. Um, something else I want to bring up in this game, Cesar Ruiz, offensive guard for the New Orleans Saints, a former first-round pick out of Michigan, now two years into his NFL career. I don't think he's been on bust watch yet, but he's played over 1,800 snaps in his career, all at pretty much right guard. I think he started the year at center this year, but is playing a lot of right guard now. Mm -hmm. Sub 60.0 PFF grade in, week, in his first year, still a sub 60.0 PFF grade this year. What has been your reaction to Cesar Ruiz? Because he has not gotten off to the start. I think a lot of people expect it, right? Yeah. So he was a young prospect coming out. I believe he was 20 when he got drafted. He's only 22 um, now. Only 22 now. So from that perspective, obviously, 
give him a little time. He's younger than guys who will be drafted in next April. You know, like a lot of guys coming out, fifth-year seniors, that's what he could be right now. So he still could be a college football player. So from that perspective, it didn't really make sense. It didn't fit in that draft pick when they took him with basically the Saints, how they've built their team in terms of like win now, like guys who can impact the field right away because he felt like at that age just how where he was as a prospect that it was probably going to take him a little bit of a learning curve. And also, he was a center at Michigan and only a center at Michigan. Yeah. And they had Eric McCoy, one of the best centers in the NFL, who they had just drafted the year prior. And so they draft him to move in positions. Now, obviously, end of year two, you would hope that you'd be seeing strides by now, but really haven't quite seen that. So it is a little worrisome. I'm not going to put him firmly on bus watch. We've got some better bus watch this year later in the show. But it's looking like for the 24th overall pick, you could have done a lot better especially in that draft class. Especially a low-value position, right? Like yes. if you are drafting yes, yes, yes. you know, into your offensive lineman, center guard in the first round, you need these guys to pan out, right? Because you are spending high draft capital on positions that make bottom-of-the-barrel money. And if they don't hit, it's like a double miss. Like it's a double. You Not only did you not bring in a high-value position, but you also didn't even get a productive player at that position. Exactly. It's like you see it every single year. A guy this year, back end of the second round, Creed Humphrey. Draft him, best center in the Like you see guys, interior offensive line, every single year, Middle of day two, end of day two. Was it Creed a third round pick? Able to, or was no, he back in the second? End of the second round. Um, so you get that pretty much every single year. And that's why we say, you know, unless the guy really is a stud, unless he's really Tyler Linderbaum, Quentin Nelson, whatever, that it's like known what he's going to be at the next level using those high draft picks on low value positions. Well, swing the bat elsewhere. One think. more note on this game. You had Marcus Davenport as a little flyer here you want to call out. Oh, yeah. So we had, I had the breakout article based off of the preseason. And he was the guy that I wrote in there, said, if he stays healthy, this is the one I feel the most confident about actually breaking out this season. Because he just looked different when he came, showed up this preseason. Obviously, he got hurt early on, but now back healthy. Last handful of games has been dominant. 83.8 grade this past week. Tampa Bay, 89.1. Against the Jets, 84.0 for the season now. 90.1 overall grade. Mark Stamport. Yeah, he's going to get this fifth-year option, but he is making himself some big-time cash. Carson Wentz just tested positive for COVID. Out for 10 days because he's unvaccinated. Oh, he's unvaccinated. Yeah. Does that drop into week 17? What day are we? Tuesday? No, it won't. So he'll be back for week 17. 18. I always get that fucked up. But it's – so he's – on the COVID reserve list, mm -hmm. if he tested positive, he's out for 10 days. If he was a close contact, it's five days as an unvaccinated. So okay. ideally, he did not test positive, and he's back week 18. But that's a huge miss for the Colts, obviously, <laughs> not having Carson Wentz starting. COVID's hitting hard right now. I think the Raiders line has moved out to plus seven and a half this week, and it's only getting bigger. I think there's a lot of COVID reserve news expected to come out of Las Vegas. This is like, you brought it up on Monday, but like, it's damaging the product. But man, this is taking yeah. a big swing of the bat to the playoff race, right? Like there's so many teams who are like at seven, seven, eight, and seven trying to make this push. And it's really going to come down to who's healthiest. And honestly, you know, it's going to come down to who has a high percentage of vaccinations, right? If your quarterback is unvaccinated and he's going to miss a game because of it, that's fucked. Yeah. Like, you're going to get screwed over that. That's um, yeah. Aaron Rodgers looking smarter and smart for getting COVID early on this season. Wow. 
Wow, you somehow turn into that. Maybe we should all be eating clay with Shaylin Woodley. Uh, let's move to um, let's move to the draft classes. I think a lot of people are going to be excited about this podcast. I think last time we did the first round stuff, yeah, we got some blowback. People were a little upset that we we didn't even give that many bad great confidence level grades. Did we get blowback? I didn't. I, see I any. saw Maybe someone I was upset. Someone was upset at my seven for Jamar Chase. Okay, well, yeah, I, you were wrong about. Maybe that. I am wrong about that. That's fine. No, it's fine. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll move on fine. to we're going to do uh, team by team starting with the AFC North and the Cincinnati Bengals something I want to do to kind of frame this conversation is non-first round picks that have played over 100 snaps for the Bengals this year Jackson Carmen, the offensive guard Cameron Sample the edge defender Trey Hill the center and then Chris Evans the running back and looking at when we first graded some of these picks we gave um, the Jackson Carmen pick an above average selection at pick 46 in the 2021 NFL draft Cameron Sample a very good Tyler Shelvin above average. Um, and then you had Trey Hill, which came in the sixth round, below average is one of those grades. And Chris Evans, a below average pick as well. What are some of your bigger takeaways from this class? And Carmen's the one who's played the most snaps and probably the only one you can really have a legitimate take on. Wait, we gave Evans a below average? Yeah, we Did didn't like that? it. Yeah, we didn't like it. Who wrote average? that? That one's wrong. Okay, fair. Because he was 104th on the draft board or something. He got picked 202. Maybe it was just a running back hate. Someone was no, also at 202. The person who's grinding out that blurb is probably whoever like, ground out that blurb is blind. Do a little better next time. Fair. I like that pick, and he's still he's made an impact. I think in the passing game uh, for them, I think he'll be a mainstay in that regard mm-hmm. for the next for the course of his rookie contract. So like that pick. Osai obviously gets hurt early on. Doesn't even I think I think got hurt preseason. So that one's kind of a wash. Carmen's the one that has seen the field, mm-hmm. but can't consistently see the field, has been inconsistent on it. 52.7 overall grade on 367 snaps. And like we said in the preseason, like the, the he just didn't start out great. Showing up heavy, going to clutch. Any any Bengals player you see at clutch is always a red flag here at the bar. In any Cincinnati. human being at clutch <laughs> in Cincinnati is a red flag. For those who don't know, who don't live in Cincinnati, it's the bar where Pac-Man got arrested. It's a Bar is giving it a lot it's a of it's like bar a club. It's like a bar club slash den that is that like has way one, darker than it should be. That has one bathroom, and the lion. Every, half the time I've gone there, probably three times in my life, and about half my time I've spent in that bar has been waiting in line for the one bathroom because it's a one person <laughs> bathroom that I have for a whole bar. It's absurd. But Pac um, Man got arrested there. And Jackson Carmen's. You have right a friend that like broke the door there. Yeah, only <laughs> got thrown. Through that the door place there. is awful. Like the fact that Carmen was going there is awful. Um, it's not how you want to start your career. Can can I add a little positive to Carmen, though? Like, yeah, Carmen's been inconsistent. He started off the year really terribly and has been her. But he has, like, played a lot of different positions, right, in his first year. Right guard to start, left guard against Pitt, and he's played left tackle the last few weeks. And, like, that is obviously super difficult, especially for someone whose size who, like, I remember when we had him on this podcast, he said, you know, team see me as a top five tackle in this draft. I can play tackle. He's getting some of that opportunity now. He has not been horrendous at left tackle. I still think there's some positive this. And remember, he's a young guy too, only 21 years old, as evidenced by his clutch record. So like he's obviously, um, I think, a guy that can improve. I would not be like worried. And I know we're not going to do confidence level on him panning out for all these players. But like, I'm not pressing the panic button anywhere soon for Carmen. Yeah, that's fair. On to the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens. Um, I think I think it's safe to say about all of these players. Yeah, of course. Like yeah. anyone who's, you know, well, uh, there's probably some, though, that have like fallen off yeah. pretty significantly. It's like if we didn't like it to begin with and you were bad, then mm-hmm. I don't know how to scrap. Keep going. Going through Ravens picks here, uh, starting with their 
pick of the third round. Ben Cleveland at 94, we gave an average grade on first. Brandon Stevens, the cornerback from SMU, he's played the most snaps of any day two or day three player in their draft class. We give that below average. Then you have Tylen Wallace, who's seeing more snaps of late in round four. Wade from Ohio State, Dalen Hayes of Notre Dame, and Ben Mason rounding out their day two and day three picks. So far this year, only guys that have played legitimate snaps from that group. Brandon Stevens, who's played more safety than corner coming from SMU. Tylen Wallace, over 200 snaps played. And Ben Cleveland has been getting some run of late. Hey, Cleveland's starting the past couple weeks uh, at guard for them. It's been fine. Uh, I mean, he was never going to be – he's not a guy who profiled great in pass protection. Uh, he was a guy – he's a line scrimmage mover. That is what he is. He's an absolute horse. And so I think that's – He's the guy who has that picture, right, where he, like, he looks like Adonis. Like I mean, he's like, insanely large. He's 6'6", 360. Like, and it's like proportionally – at that size, rare for how big that dude is. He looks like a, he looks like a world's strongest man competitor. I mean, he probably could compete legitimately once he retires. Uh, Brand Stevens though is the one that was the very first guy drafted at 104 overall in the draft that I had not watched. I, oh, wow. I had not was not on my radar as a prospect. He didn't go to Senior Bowl. He didn't go to. I can't he's remember. He's played a exactly lot for went, them, this but he's year. played a ton. And also not been great. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he did not grade well at SMU at cornerback. Moves to safety there, and also has not graded well. It's a thirty-nine point one coverage grade. Yeah, uh, has a lot of busted coverages. I'm surprised that he's the guy who's gotten so much run early on. And obviously, they've had a ton of injuries, but yeah, that one was a head scratcher and doesn't look any less so at this point. I mean, he's changing positions, right? He's six foot two hundred six. He was um, a size speed kind of draft pick. Played a lot of outside cornerback at SMU over the past, you know, in 2020 and in 2019. Did not grade all that well in his final season. Now playing a ton of safety. Started the year at a lot of free safety. Now playing more strong safety in the box stuff. Stevens, I think, obviously we're not talking panic buttons, but man, he's played a ton of snaps this year. They obviously like something, right? They like something in Stevens and that. They've had injuries in the secondary that's probably pushed him on the field more than they wanted to in the preseason. But still, Stevens not panning out and he's been the guy who's played the most shall we get to the Steelers Steelers next here Steelers after picking Najee Harris who we did not like that pick obviously playing running back in the first round all that stuff but round two Fryermuth, who already has a chant at Heidens Field or not a chant but like he has got the classic move Fryermuth picked at 55 we like that as an above average grade we really liked Kendrick Green the center they picked in the third round out of Illinois. Then they had Dan Moore Jr. out of Texas A&M in the fourth round. Buddy Johnson, also of Texas A&M in the fourth round, rounding out the group. Loudermilk, Roche, Trey Norwood, and Presley Harvin of that group who's been the most impressive. Well, so they're starting a couple of those guys in offensive line. The most impressive of that bunch has easily been, in my opinion, uh, Pat Fryermuth. Mm-hmm. He, he looks like a... And he looks like a Steelers tight end. I was saying, <laughs> he looks like that guy who is going to be very good in the red zone, very good working the middle of the field, not particularly explosive, not particularly dynamic, but your traditional inline tight end and succeed in that role. Now, Dan Moore and Kendrick Green have also been starting with, shall I say, lesser excitement surrounding both. Yeah. I mean, their offensive line has been nothing short of an issue. I'm, Dan Moore probably as a fourth rounder really should not have been starting at left tackle. Kendrick Green was always going to be an issue – was always going to have issues right away in pass direction. Now he can, he has had some flashes as a run blocker. I still believe in him in that regard. I think he will be good, but 51.4 pass blocking grade on the season so far. Uh, they just, 
they look like a rookie third and fourth rounder. Exactly. I mean, they're thrown in the fire so quick. They have the most offensive snaps played of any player on their team. Like they're ranked first and second, Dan Moore Jr. and Kendrick Green. I think getting starting two day two, day three rookie offensive linemen, uh, obviously not the situation they want to be in. And that's been reflected in how well Najee Harris has played, right? Like Najee Harris has been contacted at behind the line of scrimmage at a higher percentage of his carries than any running back in the NFL. And obviously people have kind of beat on him a little bit because he's not as productive as people thought. But man, like breaking a ton of tackles, gaining yards after contact from a percentage standpoint, pretty high. He's, the problem has been he's running behind a pretty dog shit offensive line there in Pittsburgh, which we highlighted, obviously, like kind of confused. They didn't go Tevin Jenkins early or didn't attack the offensive line earlier. Obviously, they felt they could go better elsewhere. How about Trey Norwood? He's played over, what, 500 staffs for this team or like 300 staffs for this team. He has not graded super well, but didn't you like Norwood coming out? No, you do that. You've done that like five times. It's Norwood and who's Trey the, Brown. Trey Brown. That's right. The two Oklahoma guys. Yeah. I, I confused them. I apologize. So you yeah, didn't like so you didn't like Norwood. Did not like Norwood coming out. Well, I thought he's he not was, graded well, <laughs> and that's why I didn't really mention him. Three hundred sixty-five snaps and just hasn't played well. I didn't. He was two hundred forty-seventh pick in the draft, and I think he didn't make the two fifty for mm-hmm. PFF. So gotcha. Yeah, there you have it. Browns. Starting with Jeremiah Usu Kormoa, who is awesome, highly graded pick when we when, when this pick was made. We gave it an elite grade. Anthony Schwartz has also seen some run. Um, I think Richard LeCount is playing a lot of snaps for the injury play defense, and Demetric Felton, I think, returns kicks for them, has had some sprinkles on offense. Those are some of the highlights of their day two and day two picks. I think, obviously, I think Usu Kormoa has exceeded my expectations. And I know we were high on him. I think he was a top 20 player on PFF's draft board, but man, like he has been. He has hit the ground running at a position we rarely see that these days. Like him and Parsons, I'm not saying are in the same tier. Parsons is what? The favorite to win defensive player of the year and defensive rookie of the year right now. But Wusu Cormoa, when healthy and on on the field, has been wildly impressive. I think they should be really happy with that selection. Looks like one of the Steelers draft. It looks like he should have gone. I mean, he was 19th on the PFF draft board. That's where you would have rather, you're Washington right now, who picked 19th, I believe. You would trade Jamin Davis for Jeremiah Cormoa right now. You just would. And that's where, uh, like I said, we had him coming out. It looks like a star in the making. Anthony Schwartz is the one who's kind of been odd because I thought he was going to feature heavily in this offense. Week one, shit, 69 yards, three catches. I am like, yes, like he he needs to play. This is what this offense has been missing. But the dude has doesn't even have 60 yards since week one. He has not been featured in that offense, has not been kind of the speed threat barely sees the field. And some of that I think is because he just is not still a receiver. Like he is still not a guy who he has to run a limited route tree can only do a few things. Uh, and, and really as a route runner still very raw. So that was kind of always what you were to expect. I was hoping you'd see a little bit more after, like I said, the week one performance have not. And the other guy I want to see more of is Tommy Togi. Cause I, he's finally starting to play uh, here later on in the season. He played 25 snaps against green Bay. That was his, Season high made actually a number of plays, five tackles in that game. So I want to see more of Tommy Togi because we were high on him. He was one of our favorite picks also coming out. He was a top 100 player that went 133 overall. How ugly is this Browns receiving core, man? I think, you know, that was evident. And I don't think we talked a ton about this on the Monday podcast, but when you're forcing it to Donovan Peoples Jones as like your top guy, you're going to struggle, right? Like Donovan Peoples-Jones has had some highlight real plays, but he still only has 483 yards on the season. He's not like this consistent mid-level even short level separator and Jarvis Landry long in the tooth. I think he's been probably the most consistent or most successful guy, but he's also battled injuries this year. No Odell Beckham Jr. And all of a sudden this receiving core is ugly. And Anthony Schwartz has not stepped up. As you've said, Demetric Felton has what run like 
maybe 80 routes this season and has more yards than Anthony Schwartz. Um, it's been a little bit of a disaster. I think that's a position group they might have to attack in free agency, I mean, regardless might, of what they Shit, do. they have to. And like people, Jones, I've seen a lot of people be like, oh, how do you fall to the six? Look at him producing. And it's like, he's their number one. Like he's their top outside receiver and he has 483 yards in the season. Like he, if you go at like watch the tape, he's really not separating. A lot of his best plays are at the catch point so far this season. And he's been excellent. I mean, in that regard, 16 to 22 contested catches. But when tw 16 of your 28 catches on the season are contested, that's a worrisome, that's a worrisome rate. Yeah. You know, that is, that is just not sustainable long-term. So yeah, they need some guys who can get open. On to the AFC South and the Tennessee Titans. Dylan Radins is getting some play of late, but really the guy who's been their day two, day three bell cow has been Elijah Molden, who has really impressed at times. He has a 67.5 PFF grade on the year. He's had some single game grades above 90, but also some grades below that where he's allowed a, large, a lot of yards and coverage. He's playing a tough position. You know, we talk about linebackers tough when you're transitioning to the NFL. I think slot cornerback is another one where you're going to allow you're going to allow a high completion percentage. You're going to give up a lot in front of you. It's about tackling. It's about limiting yards after the catch. And he's done that for the most part, right? I think he's done a good job of that. So Elijah Molden, I think, has been a highlight for Tennessee. Yeah, that's their, I don't want to say lone highlight. There's been other flashes, shall we say. But he, he looks like a guy who is going to be, like I said, you're going to be, that's your slot corner for his rookie contract. Like he's yeah. going to be a quality starter for you. Raiden's I'm a little disappointed that he hasn't gotten more run with how much injury they've had up front. But that, And he's kind of filled in at times at guard and whatever. Finally got his first start at left tackle this past week. Eight pressures, not great. But that is a rookie making his first start left tackle in the NFL against shit, uh, Nick Bosa. That's, you know, yeah. that ain't easy. Uh, Rashad Weaver is the guy I was had high hopes for. It was one of my favorite picks for them in this draft. Broke his fibula early on. Haven't seen enough of him. So He also had that weird off-field stuff that came out, right? And then I think it got dismissed. He was like, I don't remember what it was. But I remember like right after, it was like, I think, was, I don't want to speak to it. But I do remember like some hang up. There, I don't know the I don't remember the details specifically. What about Monty Rice? I remember a lot of people liking Monty Rice coming out of Georgia, the linebacker. He's played a little over 100 snaps and is playing more of late. I think since week eight, he's played over 150 snaps. Has not graded all that well. Have you dived? I've not. I've not watched Monty Rice sadly, but he has played 179 snaps. <laughs> all right, let's get to the Colts. Colts. I will say, I think the Indianapolis Colts, we 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 we, we, can't, we dropped the news that they're going to be without Carson Wentz for five days at least, potentially 10 days. Not the draft class here, not a lot of standout performers, man. They haven't had a lot of guys that have even played a ton of snaps for them, let alone had a lot of impact on day two and day three of their draft class. Yeah, Dio Odeing, both their second round defensive end from Vanderbilt, was this rookie year was going to be a wash. He had torn his Achilles last January. You were not banking on him to contribute. This was a long-term, a forward-thinking pick when they made it. So for him to only play 142 snaps so far since coming back, whatever on that. Uh, the one guy who I thought after his preseason we would see more of, Michael Strawn, the Charleston wide receiver, the Charleston's what, Division Two, I believe, uh, the six foot six monster, but he only has only 26 yards this year, really hasn't played. Kyle Grants in the tight end has played the most, and he has not been heavily involved in the offense. He's great well, though. He's had some good run blocking games where he's played well. Kyle Grants in six foot three, two twenty five, tight end out of SMU, um, running seldom routes, doesn't have more than two receptions in a single game. He's probably been their most notable just because he's played the most snaps, but hoping more from the two the, the day two and day three class. On to the Texans. 
Davis the Neck Mills. Davis Mills. Is he vying for, if not leading, the future at the position? Is he the future at the position? I think people want to know. All right. So I had people tweeting at me on Sunday after his game, and he played exceptionally well. Like, that was a great performance for a rookie, sure. Um, tweeting me saying, you know, like, I've been critical of that pick. And I think this is the reason I'm critical of this pick is because you did say it was setting shows, a pick on fire. Yes, because if he's showing if he shows flashes, it might convince the Texans to to not go after a quarterback this year. Yeah, and I'm not saying with whatever they're going to end up fourth overall pick, fifth overall pick that it has to be that pick that you use a quarterback pick on a quarterback, but to tie your hopes to this third rounder who has now three games out of his uh, like 10 of the season that have graded anywhere near competently. He is still, of all the rookie starters, the lowest graded one on the season of all of them in the NFL this year. To hang your hopes, to be able to hang your hopes on that guy being the future, it might work out, but also you might just be flushing another year down the drain by doing so. And now it's not like the Texans are in great position to turn things around immediately with the rest of the roster. So maybe that could behoove you to also be cheeks next season but i just do think that it's still for as good as that game was it's still one game out of you know a full season and he has far more turnover he plays this year in the big time throws he like he is objectively over the course of this been a rookie who has some flashes not enough for me to go all in on him and i think that's the worst thing that you could do is to go all in on this third rounder and why I said not to do it in the first place. I, I don't think they can go all in, but I don't think they'd be crazy to not spend their first first round pick on a quarterback, yeah. right? And if they want to bring in someone in the second round, you know, there's, you know, you've talked about Malik Willis and maybe he's falling a bit, but a lot of this will be terminated at the senior bowl. Senior bowl has like a lot of the top guys. I think like four of the top six quarterbacks in this class are all going to be at the senior bowl. I think a lot will be determined there. You'll hear a lot of reports, rumors, things kind of flowing in what the real draft order will be of those quarterbacks and where they'll go. I think they can take a quarterback and have him compete with but I think that where they need to be a major player if they are going to try and make a legit upgrade is obviously free agency. Like trying to move on from Deshaun Watson and and make a make a decision at the quarterback position in free agency. I think is if they're if they're going to try and swing a pot, a big bat and make an upgrade, it's got to yeah. be through free agency and not necessarily spending that top pick on Corral or Pickett um, and and rather you know. Like I said, but Nico Collins is the other rookie I want to talk about from this day two day three haul for the Houston Texans. He's played a decent amount. There have been flashes where people have gotten excited. He's four of eight in contested situations, only has two drops on the year, but still not a single game over 70 receiving yards this year. A lot of that's quarterback play. I feel like, are the flashes something to buy into? I know you didn't really love Nico Collins coming out, but he is an athlete. Where are you at on Nico? He has one of the lowest charted separation rates against man coverage of any receiver in the NFL. If not, it might be the lowest, actually. I know it's bottom three in the NFL, which is not a good starting point. It's not a death knell either. Like, Devontae Adams was not a great separator early on, although he profiled more so with like his athletic ability. But mm -hmm. Nico Collins is an athlete. Not the way not, not Adams is. No, I don't think the Adams comparisons. We're not ready uh, for the Adams comparisons with yeah. Nico Collins. Brevin uh, I will say Brevin Jordan this past week looked good. Broke a couple tackles, 56 yards, career high. Um, I think he could factor more going forward. I really could not believe he fell all the way to the fifth round the way he did, even though I wasn't super high on him. I thought that was very late. Uh, They've had a ton of rookies play, obviously, because they're not Bad. a football team, but that's kind of it in terms of guys to write home about. I will say, though, the, this came to me the other day. I, I've talked about Tim Kelly's offense mm -hmm. and like him making uh, 
him just like I, I liked it when it was with Tyra Taylor. I liked it this past week with Davis Mills and thought he's factored him into this uh, uh, or I kind of eased him into the NFL really well. And he reminds me a lot of, and now he's not going to get any hype for offense coaching jobs or any sort of like any national hype because Texas offense still objectively sucks. But it reminds me a lot of Nathaniel Hackett, Packers offense coordinator now, when he was OC with the Jaguars, where it's kind of like this offense should have sucked. Like in retrospect, looking at back with Blake Bortles and what they had, that offense should have sucked, sucked. But Nathaniel Hackett kind of like had them doing at least okay enough. I, that's kind of how I feel about Tim Kelly, the Texans offense coordinator, and this Texans offense. It should suck, suck. But they're kind of still doing enough. I, I think in time he'll uh, hopefully he gets a job somewhere because I think he's done a great job with this, with what they, with what he's been given. We are on to the Jaguars here, and before we do, breaking some news. It looks like the Jaguars have already requested to interview Buccaneers offense coordinator Byron Leftwich Byron for the head coaching gig. He's currently the betting favorite, according to Bet Online, to be the next Jaguars head coach. Obviously, has the connection there after playing for the Jaguars. Do you? Some people, Trevor Sigma, Tampa Bay Trey on Twitter, mm -hmm. PFF guy has covered the Buccaneers beat for a little bit. He is not sold on Leftwich as this head coaching candidate that people are propping him up as. And I don't think, you know, obviously the Jaguars connection, I think is driving a lot of like this outside perception of interest. But like, are you backing Leftwich as a head coach? It's always hard to speak to, right? Because you don't know like actually what he has control of in this offense. You don't know yeah. transitioning into a CEO role, which is, this is what it is, right? It's mm -hmm. not, you know, play calling obviously is a part of it for some coaches, but so much of it is managing people and hiring the right people and not staying in Columbus and touching other women. Like there's a lot of these factors where are you at on Leftwich as a head coaching candidate for the Jags? And some of those are hard to discern beforehand. They, they, they can be. Like they that. can be. Uh, honestly, I, just I can speak to this offense and what it looks like and what it's been and kind of like the Arians system. And I think it would fit Trevor Lawrence's strengths. I, I think the way it attacks down the football field, the way it you know runs a lot of five-man uh, pass protections and gives him five in a route and gives him options, I think that's something that Trevor Lawrence would excel at. Now, as a manager, play caller, whatever, I can't – Trevor would probably have a better handle on exactly that. But I do think from a X's and O's standpoint, it's something that would fit his strengths. So with the Jaguars, let's go back to their day two and day two draft class. Tyson Campbell has played the most by far. Their second round pick out of Georgia, six foot two, one eighty five, a burner, a bit of a burner from American Heritage. Also played with Patrick Sertan, I believe, in high school. He has fact. graded really, really well. He hasn't. He also hasn't allowed. I think more he's come than, on really strong play. We call, we highlighted him as the rookie of the week. Couple he hasn't allowed more than fifty yards in coverage since week eight. He has been yeah. pretty damn good. A lot of passes defense in that time. He also has had some picks in that time. Tyson Campbell showing up in what's otherwise been. And he's only 21 years old. Still a very young player. He's born in the year 2000, which we're going to have to start talking about. You know, that's a little bit different for the NFL. We'll see there. But uh, Tyson Campbell playing well. Yeah, we. Uh, I'd say he's had a more encouraging rookie year than C.J. Henderson has. Obviously. Did. Yeah. Did. Um, I mean, like, even just on the field. See, so Henderson didn't, the red flags didn't show up until off field. Uh, Walker Little has made a start. He's been very meh. Not, not great. 757.5 overall grade for Walker Little. That one's uh, TBD. Obviously, dude hasn't played football in three years. So that one wasn't too big of a surprise. Andre Cisco finally getting some playing time. Liked what I saw from him a lot in the preseason. That's why I couldn't believe it took him this long to get some playing time. So excited to see where that goes. That's about it, though, as far as Jaguars picks. 
Before we get to the next division, we're going to take on the AFC East and the Buffalo Bills. Shoutouts from two sponsors here, X-Chair and DraftKings. Working from home is more important now than ever. Optimize your home office with an X-Chair and many of our accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, there is no going back. It's also all in. The LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-Chair with versatile comfort and extraordinary design, X-Chair fits any space. Go to xchairtailgate.com now. That is le- the letter X, chair, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E.com or call one 844 4 one 4 x chair for $100 off your first order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchairtailgate.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. And as for DraftKings, the NFL season is winding down. The playoffs will be here before you know it, though. And as DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, that the offers are getting even more amazing. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets for the playoffs. $200 in free bets. Don't miss out on this action. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still be a part of the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team and win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager required. One per customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem by 1-800-GAMBLER. Bills. AFC East. On to their day two selections. Bills, back into the first grab with Gregory Rousseau. And then the second round, Boogie Basham. Then Spencer Brown, who's played a lot. Both those players have played a decent amount. Fifth round, Tommy Doyle, tackle out of Miami, Ohio. Marcus Stevenson has had some run. The wide receiver from Houston picked in the sixth. Damar Hamlin of Pittsburgh. Rashad Wild Goose and Jack Anderson rounding out their late day three picks. Have you been impressed with Spencer Brown? Or have... I don't think anyone has, but how, 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 how worried, I guess, are you of like this start, right? Like it's not around his family. So Spencer Brown was a project and Mm -hmm. I think that's like something to definitely keep in mind when evaluating rookie seasons and especially day two, how, how ready, how NFL ready was this guy supposed to be? Um, We'll get to with the Dolphins. Like Liam Eikenberg was supposed to be NFL ready. We're NFL ready in this for, so for Liam Eikenberg to struggle out the game, it's a little scary as much as he has for Spencer Brown to, have a 51.3 pass blocking grade so far. And he's, they've jostled between right tackle and left tackle. And, and like he's a big reason why the Bills, and we keep saying it, are inconsistent offensively because his offensive line is a sieve. He was never supposed to be thrown in. It's like he was never supposed to play this early on. He was a project, athletic project coming out of Northern Iowa. So the, just TBD. I'm not like glad he's getting the reps. If mm-hmm. you're a Bills fan, it's good to play football, get better at it usually by playing. But <laughs> Not going to worry too much. Carlos Basham's the one who's a little bit more worrisome. He only has seven pressures on, 97 pass rushing snaps. He took that massive step back as a senior. Like, was a guy who's on the older end coming into the NFL. That's the one that he really hasn't done anything coming out here that I'd be a little bit more 
that that's a little bit more meaningful in my opinion. I mean, that's another guy too that was supposed to be entering the NFL a little bit more pro ready, right? Yeah, 24, he's 24. Yeah, 24, 24 years, old. years old, played a ton at Wake, had a lot of production there, good size, 6'5", 285, like filled out that frame. He's only played 183 snaps this season, just a 61.9 grade and seven total pressures yeah. on the year. Brown hoping for a turnaround in 2022 and moving forward. No other, I think, Bills day two, day three player has played more than like 100-ish snaps so far this year. Pats. Christian Barmore, my guy, steal the draft. Are you ready to call it steal the draft? Sure. We call it. <laughs> Christian Barmore picked at 38, the Alabama defensive tackle. He also grabbed Ronnie Perkins in the third round. Ramondre Stevenson has had a ton of run in this offense. A lot of people like him, especially in the fantasy community. Um, I think Stevenson and Barmore are the two of note that have played a lot and actually have played well. Yeah. Bar Barmore... I just never understood how he fell to 38, man. I, I get that DT, maybe not most valuable, but we had him as a better prospect than Javon Kinlaw and Derek Brown coming out. And I get he was inconsistent at Alabama, but I think I just, I don't know. It, it reminded me a lot of when Chris Jones fell the second round. I was just like, how? Like this, the guy has that combination where it's just like you can win with power, you can win with quicks, you can win with hands. Like he, he has the NFL sort of combo that, you like to see and was already very productive at Alabama. So that one was surprising, uh, but he's been fantastic. Like I said, 42 pressures already. Ramondre Stevenson, how confident are you right now that Ramondre Stevenson, that Najee Harris as a first rounder is better as a running back than Ramondre Stevenson, who was a fourth rounder? Jeez. How confident? I mean, Najee Harris is objectively a better pass catching pass. That's for you. Okay. And I think that's, you see, like, I think he has more broken tackles on receptions than he does like. Yeah. Like carries almost like he's done really well catching the ball out of the backfield, especially with Big Ben dumping it off to him on fourth downs and stuff. But like Ramondre Steven is a runner. Like I mean, that's the, that's the whole thing, right? I mean, that's the whole like the ru the rushing, yeah. the standard. Because he deviation. was more productive on a per touch basis in college. I, I'll say this: Najee Harris is better. Let's just go with that okay. because he was drafted higher, whatever you know, whatever. But like the standard deviation between like the Najee Harris who say is like the best of this rookie running back class and like Ramondre Steven isn't. The yeah. same as like drafting one in the first round, drafting one in the fifth. Like that, that's why like it is narrower than those gaps. And I yeah. think that's I, I I think there's been some comments in the YouTube channel about like running backs don't matter and like some of that movement and stuff like that. I think I hate that expression. I think it's stupid. Like that whole thing has just been overblown. But regardless, like it's more about like the replaceability of running back value and also just like how there's still like this really big gap in thought and like how we evaluate the position and like prioritize spending a lot of money and like second contracts and things and also high draft capital when you know the Zeke to Tony Pollard or yeah. the Cook to Alexander Madison like this gap is not as big as the pay gap is or the investment gap is but I don't want to fucking hang my hat on that too yeah, much. I also don't want it to be like I think Najee Harris sucks I just do think Ramondre Stevenson's very good I think he's a very good power back so there you go there's the Pats class I think they had a great draft they, I think we gave Barmore a very good grade, Mac Jones an elite grade. And we didn't give Barmore an elite grade? Who the fuck was grading these? You were on the show, bro. You were on the show and just like not willing to actually contribute to the website. Okay. What? Well, I mean, the, you <laughs> see, these are, these seem very easy. Look at the draft board. Look at where he was picked. Do some sort of I don't want to hear your, I don't want to hear your shit right now. All right, Miami Dolphins. Javon Holland, who you listen to. Have you watched like a broadcast of the Dolphins? Like I think every broadcast booth in the NFL loves Javon Holland. Like every time they bring him up, it's like, oh my God, this guy's a, this guy's a gamer. And I like Javon Holland too. We know Maurice Jones-Drew does as well. Yeah, Oakland native had him like what, 10th overall or whatever yeah. it was. Javon Holland has played a lot. We gave it an above average grade. He was the 50th ranked player on PFS draft board, drafted at 36. Ah. 
That was a regret. He was that one. I don't know why I was still on him. He was awesome. He He's was awesome. awesome. Yeah. He's also an Oakland native, Bishop O'Dowd grad. Yeah. Then he then they grabbed Liam Eichenberg, who is the 52nd ranked player on PFS draft board at 42, and then Hunter Long, the tight end at Boston College at 81. Talk Holland. How have you how have I'm you stuck. seen Holland? I mean, he's he's probably top. Uh, I don't want to say I don't want to say where I put him in the NFL because it's going to go on a quote graphic and that's no, it won't. Just say that he's good. He's been good this year. Yeah, though. he's. I mean, he's as good as Antoine Winfield was coming out last year, if not better. Especially Probably. on deep safeties. Like, he plays, like, exclusively deep safety for them and has the range and has had ball production that yeah. you don't really see for that position. He's been fucking awesome. 81.1 PFF grade this year. Yeah, he's been very sweet. Now, Eichenberg, on the other hand, that's kind of like positive end there. Eichenberg has taken his lumps between right tackle and left tackle. It's just been ugly. Not really any signs of life there and then the one pick that was always like this pick doesn't make any sense the hunter long pick yeah they used a premium sort of 82nd overall for a backup number two tight end and i get like mike kazeki gonna be hitting for agency or whatever but i mean long's like barely seen the field so far this year 90 snaps he's on the field and it's like 82 overall is a nice spot to find an offensive line <laughs> and, yeah. I, and i get that it's like maybe a little revisionist history to be like, hey, keep drafting offensive linemen, but they should have kept drafting offensive linemen. Most passes. That's something we said a lot of that last offseason that they had to get a better line. Most passes defensed at the free safety alignment this year. Combined passes defensed in picks. Darnell Savage with 10, Javon Holland with eight. He has been up there, upper echelon for the Miami Dolphins. Awesome pick for them. Jets. Are there anything positives here? Any positives? Elijah yeah, Moore positive. in flashes. Elijah Moore in flashes. Elijah Michael Carter been, ranks I third. I think Michael Carter, the running back of UNC, ranks third in um, forced missed tackles per rush, like right up there with Javante Williams and other backs as well. Those two guys obviously being highlights for the Jets. Michael Carter, I also feel like is one of those guys that once you get kind of the rest going around him, once like the situation starts being nicer, when like there's more guys to take the attention off him, he's really going to start to shine more. I don't know. Can't explain exactly how I feel that way, but he's a guy who like needs space. And when he's in space, he's awesome. But when he's in tight quarters, it's kind of not as awesome. He doesn't. Ha he's not that kind of back that's going to grind out, you know, a four yard game between the tackles. It's just not him. But like, if he went to, <laughs> I'm really going deep down the rabbit hole. If he went to the Chiefs, he would be like, a, he would be sick in that offense. Okay, that's the last thing I'll say about that. But I do think my car's going to be good. And Elijah Moore is their number one receiver right now. He straight up is. He is their best wide receiver at the moment. So that is exciting from that perspective. I, they've thrown a lot of shit at the wall defensively. Not a ton has stuck. Brandon Eccles had that one nice pick six, but it's gotten torched kind of routinely. Um, I will say Jason Pinnock, though, the former pit corner, I believe, who was kind of like a – played a lot of cover two. He played a lot of – it wasn't like a traditional corner. You're not drafting him to just be that. He's moved to safety since. Played safety this past week. Had a pass breakup. I think that's his future. Going to the AFC West, Kansas City Chiefs. They have been. They had a slam dunk and a half on day two and day three. Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, two starting offensive linemen for them. Creed Humphrey is not a just draft. the highest graded rookie offensive lineman. He's the highest graded center in the NFL. He's literally the highest graded center in the NFL. They picked him at yeah. 63 in the draft, which is late second round. Nick Bolton has also had some positive production for this team. He's playing a lot more snaps of late. But to get Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey on day two and day three of the draft, two guys that are legitimately starting for this team and playing well, Humphrey better than Smith. But man, that has been a huge win for the Kansas City Chiefs. They have like 
struck gold, right? Like if yeah. every every day two and day three selection or every year you hit on one day two slash day three pick, that's a slam dunk. And they've hit on probably two or three here. I think three. I mean, Nick Bolton's not – he doesn't look like Jeremiah Uscormoa. It obviously doesn't look like Mike Parsons. But if you just compare him to what the Chiefs had been throwing out the linebacker position in recent years, that is a massive upgrade. Yeah, like, he, that guy is a playmaker still in the running game, has been huge for them in that regard, and has made some plays at least in the in coverage. He's never going to be you know, Luke Keekley in coverage. He's not that guy. He's limited wingspan, limited sort of lateral agility, movement skills, but he has straight line speed. He's quick to diagnose stuff, and he doesn't get lost. So I, I think Nick Bolton is a heck of a linebacker even already. So they have three slam dunks. If we're talking about teams that really had their best drafts outside of the first round, Chiefs right up there. Have to be right up there. I am excited for, I mean, so many people are calling for Creed Humphrey to be like offense rookie of the year. <laughs> like the, the discourse around Humphrey has been overwhelmingly positive. He's not just graded well, but I think a lot of, even beyond just PFF, a lot of media recognizing him as like a top safety. And then the, the, best the fucking picks. Trey Smith, I don't know what goes on. We need to get pro football doc on to see how people's boards work with injury issues and things like Trey Smith's blood clots that dropped him to the sixth round. But if you just look at hit rates of fifth round picks, late fourth round picks, the fact that like you would pass on a guy at that point in time, as talented as Trey Smith was, who by all accounts, I believe was a top hundred consensus board. I believe is in the seventies on PFF's draft board. Just because of like that. Yeah. Seems crazy to me. And he's looked like a guy who should have been a top 75 pick, like straight up. That's where he should have been. Because so. a lot of that too is right. Like they don't like, okay, we're going to factor that into Trey Smith's ranking. We're going to drop him to the fifth. It's more like he's off our board. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that ruined that. That'll and it's take. like, well, then your board's going to have a lot of shit players. You know, when, exactly. if, you're, if you're limited to 20 or so guys every year. Yeah. Two players that have played the most uh, from the day two and day three selections for the Chargers have both been, I think, productive, flashy. Asante Samuel Jr., defensive back, drafted in the second round. They also grabbed Josh Palmer in the third round, one of your guys out of Tennessee. Samuel Jr., man, is playing so much like kind of we expected, right? He was another pro-ready guy, instinctive guy, and yeah. has – I mean, there's like Antoine Winfield Jr. comparisons, right? Like he has been legit awesome playing slot corner for them. And Josh Palmer, I think – you know, Asante I don't think Samuel anyone, Jr. doesn't play slot. What did you say? He doesn't play slot. Asante Samuel Jr., sorry. No. Playing, Who's played slot? Who are you talking about playing slot? Asante Samuel's not slot. Oh, okay. I thought he was playing slot, no? No. Okay. Well, then Josh, I would say, well, anyway, Josh Palmer has not been as productive as Santi Samuel Jr., but I think exceeding expectations of the third round pick. Yeah. Palmer's been kind of average. He had that one game with, what was it, a couple weeks ago? Who were they playing? When everyone was out, uh, all the other wide receivers were out. It was against the Giants. Six, six yards in that game, a touchdown. Hasn't got a ton of run. He's obviously been third fiddle in that offense with Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. So that one's still very much a TBD. But I do think Asante Samuel, you see it. Like he's gotten burned a few times. It's not been it's not as not been as good as you know the, the first round corners. He it doesn't look as good as those guys, but he has been close. He's been better than the first round corners were in 2020. Let's just say that. He, he has been good for the Chargers so far this year. If we're talking about second round corners on a whole, 47th overall pick, he's exceeded expectations for that. He's only he's only played four snaps in the slot. I don't know what what crystal meth I was doing, but outside cornerbacks where he's played the most, 518 snaps so far this year for Asante Samuel Jr. Palmer, does he have a long term? I, he might have offense? to. I mean, shit, with Mike Williams' contract situation maybe gone after this year. He, 
I'm not sure he's shown enough for me to be like, Mike Williams, see ya. Well, we're not going to fork yeah. up the You're money. You're stoked to move on. But, from, uh, uh, but I do think he might have to step in right away next year. I do want to add one more thing because I was going through these, and I just realized, I don't know how I didn't realize this on draft day, but back-to-back years, the Chargers took the one running back that I think I differed the most from basically where they got drafted in consensus. This year, it was Larry Roundtree. I, and now they only took him 198th overall. But I was just like, this dude... I don't think he can play. I don't mm-hmm. think he's an NFL back at all. I don't think he's close. He's averaged 2.4 yards per carry this year. And then last year, they took Josh Kelly, who in the fourth round, and I was just like, I don't see it whatsoever. He maybe has some speed, like size and speed, but like the guy cannot break a tackle. Like he goes down first contact so easily. He's averaging 3.2 yards per carry in his career. So the Chargers and I see running back scouting vastly differently the chargers are fading your running back analysis i think it's fair though i mean you stink um on to the raiders trayvon merrick was their first pick on day two we gave it an elite grade he was a 16th ranked player on pfs draft board our top ranked safety to grab him at 43 he's played a ton this year i think he's played more snaps than any rookie this year 1100 plus snaps playing a ton of deep safety for them i think he's up there with javon holland and like production from that position he's also Mm -hmm. played a little bit more but um merrick has been Let's start with Merrick, and then we can get to Hobbs and some of the other guys as well. But Merrick has been, I think, meeting expectations. I still, like, at the safe position, maybe you're looking for more splash plays, but playing the single high and Gus Bradley scheme, like, they play cover three more than anyone. They play single high more than anyone. I think it's a tough role to play going from, like, that quarters-heavy TCU system. I think he's been impressive considering all that. Yeah, Merrick's been great. I think he's a much-needed hit in the secondary for them. And shit, yeah. and Nate Hobbs has been, too. Uh, that's yeah. one of the one of the, the, the draft. In the fifth round, there you go. There's your slot guy. He's been very physical. I, I think I think he could honestly play outside cornerback. I get that they're not uh, – they kind of like you don't want to waste a good thing. He's already been very good in the slot. Don't want to mess that up too much, especially when the outside corner, like they've had injuries and it's been so up and down. You want to move him back and forth. But I do think in time he has a skill set to do so. Um, so much needed there. Some actual building blocks, and that's secondary for them. Uh, I will say after that – Devon Diablo has played of late, started actually seeing, yeah. started the past few weeks. He's already better than Jonathan Abram. 100%. <laughs> the dude's already better than Jonathan Abram. He's been as awesome. He's just played like a great interview side. for them too. Yeah. And then the last one, Malcolm Koontz. I can't believe he was inactive for so long. I get that they have a lot of edge rushers now. But just going back and watching him against Casey, he had some like legit wins, which you don't see that a lot for rookie. So he's only played two games, um, only like 20-something snaps. But and was like I said inactive for I think the first eleven weeks, but and just healthy scratch. But I, I am excited to see what he can do moving forward because those were like I said you don't see you don't see wins like he had all the time. Divine Diablo is that safety from Virginia Tech that transitioned to linebacker, six foot three, two twenty six, playing yeah. linebacker now for the Las Vegas Raiders. He's been really good of late compared to the linebacker play that they've had, right? They've swung and missed on Corey Littleton. You know, Jonathan Abram has been moved to linebacker, and Diablo's already having more success. With Hobbs, Hobbs, you did not have Holden high regard entering the draft. What did you or didn't you see with Hobbs, do you feel? Yeah, well, stupid uh, Illinois had him. I mean, Illinois was playing cover two. Mm-hmm. You know, they had him as cover two corner, and so you're not seeing what he actually looks like at corner. Um, and now cover two corner is kind of more similar to a lot of what you're going to be doing because you're an underneath zone defender at that point. When you're in the slot, you're often an underneath zone defender. So he was good in that role, and now he's good in the slot. So I, uh, I was a high-end athlete. I, I believe he was one of the best in terms of like overall testing numbers at the cornerback position. So 
the uh, the Mike Mayock day three train continues. Mayock cleaning up. I mean, Max Crosby, former day three guy, or yeah. day two, day three guy. Um, Broncos got to start with Javante Williams. He's been awesome. I and mean, he ranks tied with Jonathan Taylor in force tackles per touch. Yeah, Broncos, it's kind of wild because, you know, they're hyped up as a good roster all offseason outside the quarterback position. And then they hit, shit, one of the best drafts of anyone in the NFL. Like, they get Patrick Sertan. Oh, my God, you're dying over there. Get Patrick Sertan, Javante Williams, Quinn Miners with your first three picks. All look like slam dunks already. Like, obviously – low value position after a Sertan with running back and a guard. But Javante's been excellent, leads the NFL in broken tackles. Quinn Miners, after kind of struggling early on, filling in for injuries, now starting the past handful of weeks has been nothing short of a quality starter since coming back. So he looks like a W. Uh, I will say Baron Browning's the one, then your last third round pick, last guy who's really seen a good deal of playing time. Actually, Jonathan Cooper has as well. Jonathan Cooper for a seventh rounder been probably better than any other seventh rounder this year <laughs> i mean he actually looks solid in run defense has had some wins as a pass rusher still don't know where his ceiling goes though but for a seventh rounder that's above expectations already but baron brown is the one who still tbd still figuring it out had some ugly ugly games when he got thrust into starting lineup i think he's been improving not getting lost as much in coverage so that one is one where that was kind of always who he was going to be is that project next on our list yeah Packers, I think, you know, the Packers alignment has been hits, right? Like, they've had some guys that can come in and make some play. Huh? Your cough button's on. Oh. I'm sorry, dying. I'm dying. I'm literally dying. Had to turn the cough button off. But they picked multiple linemen on day two, day three. Josh Myers comes in, 62 overall. They also have Amari Rogers, who I think all of Packers Nation, I don't think Packers Nation's a thing. They hate him for special teams efforts. Oh, he's been off. He's been horrendous, former Clemson slot receiver. But then they have Royce Newman, also drafted him on the offensive line. Cole Van Lan, I don't think he's played a ton, but Green Bay Packers, day two, day three reactions. Yeah, Rodgers looks is the most worrisome at this point because, again, it's about expectations. He was billed as, you know, NFL-ready route runner, slot, reliable guy, has been the opposite out of the gate. Can't see the field on a somewhat weak receiving core and can't even – catch a punt save his life so that one's scary uh josh myers obviously got hurt he looked okay i'll say early on before he did get hurt not like the guy who was picked behind him creed humphrey but royce newman up and down good athlete 56.4 overall grade though the guy has lost a lot of he, he's been he's had his a lot of his issues haven't necessarily come one-on-one stunts blitz pickups he has been kind of a nightmare, honestly. Uh, the good thing is not only people want to blitz Aaron Rodgers, so doesn't come into play that often. But when they do, he has had his issues. The last guy probably to highlight to Daryl Slayton, defense tackle, kind of just space eater. That's what he's been. So that's why they drafted him. I think uh, the biggest highlight has come, and we talk, talked about this on the first round, you know, when we did the first round version of this, Eric Stokes just like kind of exceeding expectations starting it for them. He has probably been, you know, versus expectations or PFF's expectations <clears throat> had the most success versus those. Um, I skipped past the Bears. No, Vikings. Vikings. White Davis, you hate to see it. Longu, though. I think he has, what, tied for the NFL high in kick return tight touchdowns this year. Always a speedster coming out of Iowa State. One of my like kind of favorite day three flyer type of backs for sure. Yes. So they kind of famously, and Mike Zimmer 
is not a rookie guy. He does not throw a lot of rookies in. Does not like to get them. Does not like starting rookies. And so you have, I think they what had eleven picks this past year. Outside of Christian Darrison, no one really consistently seeing the field. So I will say I'm a little that is a little worrisome for Wyatt Davis. That was the guy I thought could come in and maybe sneak playing time because their guard situation's been so bad. But even he hasn't been able to see the field. Cameron Bynum, the guy to highlight though, outside of Mwangnu, who everyone and their mother knows is yeah. exciting as hell to watch. Is hashtag fun to watch. Cameron Bynum though, cornerback at Cal, was also kind of a cover two cornerback there at California. Switches to safety here for Minnesota. When he filled in for Harris Smith when he was out with COVID, he made some plays. That pick he had against the Ravens, Lamar Jackson was legit. I think he looks like a natural at safety. He will probably be starting there at some point in his rookie deal. He looked good. Matthew Collar, who I think is a Vikings beat writer, I went on his podcast. He talked about why Davis showing up a little overweight. Coming off an injury, came a little overweight. I think him getting into shape was a big thing for Zimmer and the Vikings. So, man, TBD on how he pans he, out. It always like blows my mind that you get to be, for your job, 315 pounds. You get to be f- fat. You could probably eat, you know, like you get to eat pretty much whatever you want. Yeah. And you still go overboard with that. That's incredible, man. Every time I hear stories about that. It's tough, man. It's tough. Like the like Eddie Lacey. It's like, dude, you got to be, you could be 240, but you just couldn't be 260, you know? Yeah. And you couldn't, and you had, uh, and China food, China food. China food. Um, I will say something that Collar said that was interesting, the Vikings beat writer on that. He said, normally, he says that I'd never heard anyone say, it. normally in training camp, you can tell in the first two weeks if a rookie's going to pan out. Which I feel like I don't know, like he, but he was saying like a lot of like, like especially like day two, day three guys, you can like feel, like see, like first time seeing their like size, speed, demeanor, and like just overall like <clears throat> comparison to NFL talent, you can kind of get a really good feel of like, okay, what, how ready is this guy, and I guess how soon can he make an impact? And he felt Wangu was like, oh my god, what the hell? We got a, like a legitimate fire starter yeah. in this third round. With Wyatt Davis, he obviously did not have that same feedback. I wonder, like, just like being there, right? Being there and seeing like how he's used and how he's leveraged and all that stuff early on in camp. I do think you can get a lot of telltale signs of like where at least their early career will traject. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Chicago Bears. Tevin Jenkins is just now recently getting play, right? Tevin Jenkins did yeah. not have – he was their second-round pick. They traded up for him in the second round. He's just now getting a few starts. I don't think he's been wildly impressive, but he also hasn't been like a complete and utter disaster, which is obviously a huge win. The bigger highlight has been friend of the show, Juice Herbert. Khalil Herbert, I think, is their highest-grade offensive player with over 200 snaps played. He has been – Dude looks awesome. He has been sick. He's yeah. been sick. I think he was your, what, RB2, RB3? He was, I think, RB4 on the PFF draft board because you had the trio at the top. Oh, he's RB5. He's Javante. Yeah, Javante, Najee, and Travis Etienne. And then I think Cardo was four. And then he was five. I really liked him. I couldn't I couldn't believe that he fell to the sixth. Like anyone that I just don't if watching his tape at Virginia Tech was sick. And now they didn't run a ton of concepts. But like it was like inside zone, outside zone. And his vision on that was good. Also, he's a explosive. really good returner. And he's 5'9, 212 with like four four-ish speed. Like I I didn't see a ton to dislike about him, and he's obviously been very good at the NFL level. So excited about him. Excited about Thomas Graham, what he showed the past two weeks. Um, Tevin Jenkins, obviously, that's kind of been a wash of a rookie season. Larry Borum has played a lot more than he has, playing your starting right tackle there for Chicago for the majority of the season, the second half of this season. 
And I mean, for a fifth rounder, I think he's been better than expectations. And that's, I'm not sure if he stays at tackle, might end up at guard. I think I project him at guard, but that's at least encouraging for a fifth rounder. Detroit Lions, Levi Muzurike and Ali McNeil, the two defensive tackles, were their first two picks of day two. Both have graded below 60. I think Levi Muzurike has graded a little bit worse. They both played a little bit north of 300 defensive snaps this year. Fatsu Melifanu, who's also been thrown into the fire, has played a lot for them at cornerback, the former Syracuse cornerback. He, too, has not graded all that well. I think he's been impressive in bursts. I mean, I think a lot of these guys have. Where I think a lot of people's attention has been drawn to is Amon Ross St. Brown. By yes. far and away, played the most snaps of anyone from their day two and day three selections. And he's like legit turned on of late, even making Tim Boyle look good. Yeah, I think he's, I still don't think he kind of profiles as your guy going forward, but he's a nice secondary piece. Like he's a nice, he's been their slot receiver and looks very reliable in that role. So I think that's a nice starting point. And it's also nice that you've gotten so many snaps. They've had far and away the most snaps of their rookie class. You're getting these I mean, guys thrown everyone out there, right? whether it's Derek Barnes, who's now starting here late in the season, whether it's Jerry Jacobs, the UDFA, who actually looks pretty solid as their slot corner. Just recently got hurt, I think. Yes. Yeah. So they, they're getting a lot of guys reps. Not a ton of home run success stories yet outside of probably Penny Sewell, but I, I think reason to be encouraged if you're a Lions fan. On to the NFC South. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a good football team and have not played a ton of their day two and day three selections. However, surprise, surprise. There is some, there is something to pull from some of this, right? I think they're uh, Kyle Trask, the backup. That was their first pick of the second round, the last pick of the second round. He holds a clipboard really well. Holds a clipboard phenomenally. Jalen Darden was, I think, their first pick of the fourth round, the receiver out of North Texas, also a friend of the show. They've also had Linebackers, K.J. Britt and Grant Stewart. They took Stewart at the back end of the seventh. I think K.J. Britt in the fifth. They've played over 200 snaps, but not a lot of not a lot of stuff to glean with how little these guys have played. Yeah, not much. Um, K.J. Britt, I think, is their lowest-graded player on defense. Darden has been a returner. Mm -hmm. He's been honestly pretty nondescript. There's not a lot to write home about. They they were not the the good thing if you're a bucks fan is that they are not playing you know like you yeah. had a roster that was so good that they didn't have to play so. darden might get some more run though with the injuries well, with receiver. The injuries we'll receiver, see yeah. we'll see he's got a chance to show up maybe fill in this like scotty miller type falcons atlanta falcons day you just two said kj brist their lowest grade defensive player he's played 21 snaps yeah i know I, I i saw that and then looked at how many snaps played that's on me he's played a lot of special teams though kj brist's special teams all Maven. If he he gets one Pro Bowl early in his career, they'll give him a Pro Bowl every year of his career, like Matthew Slater. Mm. I think there's a chance there. You got to make a play. Um, Atlanta Falcons, day two and day three picks. Let's get to those. Let me pull up their day two and day three picks. Richie Grant, safety out of Florida, was picked at 40. They grabbed Jalen Mayfield, who's graded ter terribly so far this year. The offensive lineman in Michigan at 68. He was the 144th ranked player on PFF's draft board, picked at 68. First pick, one of the first three picks in the third round. They also grabbed Darren Hall and Drew Salmon, Drew Dalman in the fourth, Taquan Graham, Ade Agunaje in the fifth, Avery Ogunaje. Williams and Frank Kennedy. What's the Notre Dame guy's name? They this one's been a scary draft class, honestly. Outside of Cal Pitts, Cal Pitts obviously great, but Richie Grant, another guy like we said, should have been NFL ready. You can't even not lock down a starting job as the 40th overall pick. Has been kind of ugly when he has been in there. Jalen Mayfield. We call him a project. He's been a project. He has that hilarious tweet of, if you don't want your quarterback to get hit, draft me. Uh, and now I think he's like top five in terms of quarterback hits allowed. So the irony of that. But it, it's not a lot of good things to write home about with this Falcons day two, day three pick so far, sadly. Yeah. I mean, I think 
Mayfield is allowed some of the most pressures of any guard in the NFL. He's, so. I believe, is the lowest graded uh, guard right now. Do you think it turns around? Obviously, you said he's a project candidate. Turn around. Yes, yeah, so he's twenty one. They've invested in a lot I'm of projects sh- along the I mean, line, right? Obviously, shit can turn around, but we were not eyeing him because he wasn't that fucking good at Michigan, honestly. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> Shall we get to the Saints then? Yeah. Saints. Pete Warner. I just met her. He Ohio has 31 combined sacks and hits. That's insanity, actually. I at guard? That's, yeah. That's, that's absurd. That Warner, is. Ohio State linebacker, drafted at 60. Adebo, the Stanford corner, drafted at 76. Ian Book, we... We don't need to speak to that too much. Ian Book was the 133rd pick, the 265th ranked player on PFS draft board, as evidenced by last night. Landon Young tackled Kentucky, and then K1 Baker in the seventh was their day two selections. Book has played some. Do you want to talk? start with Book? Or? Let's start with Pete Warner. <laughs> I actually really like Pete Warner. I think this guy is going to be the future there once Demario Davis, obviously, I believe he's the oldest linebacker in the NFL. Once he finally hangs them up, I think Warner made the start against Miami yesterday. He's a 90.8 run defense grade so far this year. Very solid, very sound inside linebacker. Not do it all, does it all. Not all of it particularly well, but like no real weaknesses. He's not like a guy, not a lot of liability to his game. So he's your kind of every down guy. Uh, so like that pick. Paulson Debo, I'm not quite as high on, even though he's played the most of any of their rookies. He has been a roller coaster at cornerback this season, 615 yards allowed this year, 104.6 pass rating against, just kind of not been great. Also, just not a lot of hands on the football, right? He only has two picks and two pass defense all year. He's played a ton. He's played 740 snaps this year, pretty much predominantly at outside cornerback. That's a bit of a concern. And also with the Saints, I think I've spoken to this about how they their defense, oftentimes like they will give Lattimore sort of like island coverages with Marshawn Lattimore, where the safety goes to a Debo side. Mm-hmm. So like he has should theoretically have an easier role than a lot of cornerbacks around the NFL because of that. And still not great and great. Panthers. We I think really liked their draft class. They had a lot of talent. Specifically, you know, after taking JC Horn at eight, they grabbed Terrace Marshall Jr. In the second, Brady Christensen in round three, Tommy Tremble also in round three, Chuba Hubbard, who's had some run, a lot, uh, Deontay Brown in the sixth, Shai Smith in the sixth. There were a lot of reasons to like their day two and day three draft class. Now, the Carolina Panthers as a whole haven't been all that successful where they've seen the most run from this group. Tommy Tremble, um, I think over 600 snaps played. Keith Taylor has played a lot. A lot. Chuba Hubbard with Christian McCaffrey's injury has played as well. Yeah, Terrace Marshall, I'm not going to ding him too much for lacking production because... That's literally every Panthers wide receiver at this point. But it, it's, there's no doubt it's been ugly. 122.49 yards per route so Yikes. far this season. 122 yards on 249 receiving snaps. So, yeah, they're day three, day two, and day three. There's not a ton to write home about. Like, Tommy Tremble, exciting player. But, again, like this passing off is just so bad that uh, you're not going to get featured. Brady Christensen. They've just jostled him around too much. I think he's played already four offensive line positions for the Panthers. It's like no one's going to grade well yeah. at the NFL level as a rookie playing that many different positions. So TBD on that. The only guy who kind of like had some flashes that I was kind of excited about was Davion Nixon, but then he got hurt. I believe it's on IR with a knee injury. So, And that was only on like 100 snaps early on in the season. So there you have it. Panthers rookie class outside the first round. I mean, it just – and even J.C. Horn getting hurt. It's kind of been dud sadly for them so far and we really liked it too you hate to see it you hate to see it for the carolina panthers dallas cowboys osa digizua has played a ton for them 
and I feel like he's played really well, but he has not graded as well as maybe my He's made plays. He's made some plays, right? I, th- yeah. I think he has. And I think along the defensive line, the capability of making plays is far more important than how consistently, or not consistently, but like, than like the negative plays, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So Oso Digizua was their third round pick. He was drafted 75th overall. He was a 93rd overall player on PFS Trapboard, the UCLA defensive tackle. He's played the most snaps of all of their day two and day three selections at 598. They've also gotten some some run out of Quinton Bohanna, another defensive lineman that they had. What let's start with Kelvin Joseph though. Like Kelvin Joseph was supposed to be this like dude coming out of Kentucky, extreme athlete, drafted, you know, um 44th overall. He was a 67th ranked player on PFF's draft board, had like an absurd pro day profile. Where have you been with Kelvin Joseph? Yeah, so he had a hamstring injury in preseason, started on IR, only it Came back, I believe, week seven or eight, midway through the season. Comes back, doesn't really get much run. Finally starts this past week. Played well. Obviously, a lot of guys played well against the football team. And football team, if you're not guarding Terry McLaurin, you can kind of take plays off. Uh, they didn't have a lot of talent outside of him. But, and obviously, your boy is throwing balls to him, Taylor Heineke. But, yeah, Kevin Joseph, one My of five guy. targets, negative two yards. He had a really good game. So, that's encouraging. Talent's never been an issue with him. With him, it's going to be like consistency. Mm-hmm. He's going to show up every single week like that. So him and Osa Digizua, very excited about. A little sad. Jabril Cox only played nine snaps, but like that means your linebackers are playing well. So well, the linebackers have been playing well. Are you are you better, in on better the- than you <laughs> at least outside <laughs> like late Vandrash better than what we expected, what we saw last year, but still not exceptional. Then would you put Micah Parsons as defense player of the year? Oh, if you had a vote, if you had a vote, no, I still think Miles Garrett's been the most dominant, but. He's not even the favorite. I know. I know. Brutal. Philadelphia Eagles, they've gotten some run out of their draft class. I think they have, uh, especially their day two and day three picks, I think they have like six guys with over 200 snaps played this year. Landon Dickerson, I think, leads that group. Milton Williams, the defensive tackle out of Louisiana Tech, has played a lot. Um, Kenneth Gainwell has had some run. Patrick Johnson has had some run. Um, Dickerson, we have not talked about him a ton. Creed Humphreys kind of stole the show among all rookie yeah. into your offensive linemen. Where are you at in Dickerson? Yeah, so we switched back, switched guard. Um I don't see necessity there for the Eagles. I thought he's been good in the run game. Uh, obviously, hasn't graded out exceptionally in pass protection, but I think only a matter of time. Uh, I think you just got to stay healthy. It, you'll got you have a you know the quote unquote ten year starter. Shall he? Should he do that? Milton Williams. He's the also guy like graded well, right? Like I mean, because yeah. Creed Humphrey's like kind of changing what we even yeah. expect from interior offensive linemen. But like a sixty seven point two PFF grade from Landon Dickerson so far this year. He's played over seven hundred snaps. Like that is solid for a younger interior offensive line, especially for a guy who's coming off an injury. So I think I would not be concerned if, all, if anything encouraged from what he's done so far this year. Yeah, Milton Williams really hasn't done much. That was kind of, he was about as big a project as you'll see. Coming out of Louis Tank, the third round pick, who they kind of dabbled with. He's a DT, almost like a five tech at Louisiana Tech. He's only 278. They've dabbled with him a little on the edge, settled in with him actually as like a pure three technique for them. And just not much to write home about the interesting guy in this draft class. And now Kenneth Gainwell has pretty much been as advertised as like receiving back. But the interesting guy to me is Teron Jackson because he was uber, uber productive coming out of Coast Carolina. Uh, had a big NFL frame, 6'2", 260, with like longer arms for a, two, for a six foot two guy than you'd expect. And was a bull rush specialist at Coast Carolina. Had that like unique body type that could get it done at the NFL level. And he's played well. Uh, he's made some legit plays for them. I'm excited to see how he develops for six rounder, 
you shouldn't be earning a six seven point six overall grade, which is like slightly above average as a sixth rounder. So I'm excited for him. Washington football team will, uh, and then the Giants will close out the NFC. Start with the Washington football team. He's battled injuries, but he's been awesome when healthy. Sam Cosme, we gave this an elite grade when he was picked. He was the 38th ranked player on PFF's draft board, picked at 51. Sam Cosme has been phenomenal when healthy. I mean, he's always had the tools, right? Always had the athleticism. Yeah. There's some bad tape from him at Texas. You've seen him get worked a bit, especially from some speed guys, and also people wanted him to add power and all these things. But man, he's entered the NFL. Legit run blocker, played super well in pass protection. This is a hit slam dunk situation. Yeah. Cosme looks I mean, he looks better than a lot of first round tackles of late. Like he looks a lot better than like the Austin Jacksons of the world, the Isaiah Wilsons of the world. Oh, he looks better than Isaiah Wilson. <laughs> I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that. I know it's a hot take. But no, he looks like a guy who so seventy five point nine overall grade. Like I said, he got hurt. He had an ankle injury against New Orleans, missed like six weeks, but he's been back playing well. Uh, yeah, I, that one's that's a long-term starter for you right there. So I'm excited about that. Diami Brown, though. Dude, concerning. I'm concerned. Concerned about Diami. I, I I really thought he was like a guy who could hit the ground running at the NFL level. 140 yards, though, all year long. And like their receiving core is the not field. like deep. <laughs> yeah, so that one's tough. Dami Brown, I've been disappointed. St. Juice has had some plays too, the, the Minnesota cornerback. He's had some run with this team as a you know, day two, day three pick. John Bates, the tight end as well. But really, Sam Cosme, Diami Brown, two of their highest drafted players on day two, day three. Brown, not so great. Cosme looking like a little bit of a dunk. Giants, Aziz Ojolari was their first pick of day two, the Georgia defensive end. He was the 30th ranked player on PFS draft board, taking it 50. We really like that pick at the time. Obviously, see value there. He also grabbed Aaron Robinson in the third. Um, that was kind of their other like notable day two, day three pick. Yeah, Aziz, we've talked about him. We put him on the blackout of the week segment at one point for just – he's been very hot and cold, but I think we also gave him a rookie of the week segment at one point. Uh, 36 pressures, but of those, he's had like four games where he didn't even have up pressure, and he's had – a number of games where he had a bunch of pressures. He had eight pressures against Carolina. So he's a guy who you see it in flashes. I think that's kind of who he's going to be. It's going to be that guy who, when he beats up on tackles, he's going to do it quickly and in waves. But he's a guy who can get shut down by more athletic tackles because he's just 6'3", 240. He's a tough ask at the NFL level to – you don't have a lot of ways to win when you're that size and not, you know – Von Miller as an athlete. So, what about Quincy Roche? I didn't mention him in the notables, but like he's also been a day two, day three player that they had. Um, the former Miami, Florida edge. Yeah, so he got drafted right by the Steelers, and then they saw, they cut him. That's right. That's he right. came over. He's been kind of whatever. Uh, There's similar mold to Aziz Ojolari in that he's not the biggest dude. Six three, two forty five. He's got to win with his hands and. I'm not sure as a six rounder, I'm not sure like there's too much more to, to give. Like he has a 61.3 overall grade. I'm not sure there's like this next step in him because he just wasn't that as an athlete. Rams, NFC West, Tutu Atwell. Are we pouring one out for Tutu Atwell? We are not going to pour one out, but <laughs> it is kind of wild to me that so he's the second round pick for them. Ben Skaronic, who the Notre Dame receiver who transferred from Northwestern, who. I, as the noted Notre Dame homer, gave a UDFA grade to. It wasn't even on a top 250 draft board. Is somehow playing far more. Like, Tutu Atwell hasn't played this year. 
uh, is playing more snaps than Tutu Atwell in that offense. That one was just a wild pick to begin with. So that one's scary if you're a Rams fan that he can't see the field. Uh, Ernest Jones, though, if there's any sort of shining light in this draft class, it is third-round linebacker Ernest Jones from South Carolina. I've been very impressed with him. Uh, obviously not easy to come in the NFL and play linebacker, and he's made his place. Uh, they traded away Kenny Young so this guy could see the football field because he's been that good. So uh, I'm excited about him. I, I think he's the one to write home about in this draft class. I mean, they brought in Tutu Atwell, and I think we heard that like you know they want them to want him to be like this next Deshaun Jackson. They had Deshaun Jackson at the time, <laughs> and they moved on from Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. Tutu Atwell still didn't enter that role. Mm. Obviously, they added Odell Beckham Jr. You know to, to fill out that depth chart, but the fact that he can't see the field over Ben Skoranek is. Concerning, to concerning to say the least. I mean, concerning. Yeah. I mean, this is a this is a bad bad situation for Tutu Atwell. That pick is looking like it's going to blow up in their face here pretty soon. Arizona Cardinals. Rondell Moore has had flashes, but there's still no consistency from his production. And I think, I mean, what, it's been it all like screens. A sex, yes, He's a gadget it, player. I mean, this entire offense is almost all screens, but still, like with Rondell, like I it's still not, the offense is not almost all screens. <laughs> they throw screens to him. Uh, he's been. I mean, he's been good for that. The worrisome thing is that like. I kind of said this when he got drafted. It's like, are they going to find a role for him in this offense that we keep saying like has these well-defined roles? And so far it's kind of been they haven't found one. He hasn't been seeing the field enough to really make an impact. The guy who's interesting in this draft class, who's always been interesting, is Marco Wilson. The Florida cornerback, fourth-round pick, has been their starter all year at cornerback. Been a bit of a roller coaster, 52.1 overall grade, but I think he's played – I don't want to say he's played better than that – but he's had flashes where it's like this guy, like he, he has reps where he can shut down elite wide receivers. Like he has that physically in him. It's just literally always been about consistency with Marco Wilson. This guy started over CJ Henderson as a true freshman. They were in the same recruiting class. He started over him and was a three-year starter, four-year starter. It was a four-year, four-year starter at Florida before coming out. But got benched multiple times throughout his Florida career, had the stupid play where he threw the shoe. Like the guy's just been inconsistent and a roller coaster. So the talent's there and it has some impressive games, but can he be consistent remains to be seen. Do you ever, like say say Rondell Moore wasn't drafted by the Cardinals. Yeah. Would you want to see him and not this gadgety trash role. I mean, I'm not trash, but like, I think I think he could do more, right? I don't think he needs to be limited like this. I think he can do, he can do more. Do Rondale more. <laughs> You're a piece of shit. I, I mean, I, I want to see him running just like a traditional route tree. I yes. think he could crush it. Like I I don't I don't think he needs to be like just a screen yeah. jet motion guy. Yeah. I, I mean, you go back like... to his freshman season, like yeah, he had a lot of stuff near the line of scrimmage, but he was also like winning down the field and like, like he ran legitimate routes at Purdue. I, I talked about how I would love to see him in that, you know, how Debo Samuel's getting in the backfield, getting handoffs. Rondale Moore could do that. Yeah. I get uh-huh. these 180 pounds, but that guy's electric and runs with power. Like, I would like to see him literally do that. Like, give him handoffs. Put him in the backfield. I don't know. I just think there's more meat on the bone with him. And I get that he's a rookie. And I think I said you don't want, like, scheming – for a rookie and a second round pick is not something you see often, but I think at some point it's going to have to be done to take advantage of them or else you're kind of just kind of got an obvious screen guy who's, it's just, you're kind of wasting his talents if, if not. 
319 snaps played in the slot for Rondale, by far the most of any position or any alignment. 37 in the backfield, 73 out wide. With Debo, he plays so much more out wide, right? Like 481 yeah. snaps at outside receiver, 185 in the slot, and then 55 out of the backfield. Like, I think he can win at outside receiver. I think putting him out there and trying to target him more downfield, I think is how you maximize his talents. Um, Seahawks. Were they? We talked about Tutu Atwell. This is another team that went after a second-round receiver in Dwayne Estridge, and he has not panned out to what they wanted to be. An older prospect out of Western Michigan could fly. Everyone talks about how fast he was, but, man, has not been able to produce for the Seahawks team. We, we, shit, this one, like, we said it about Tutu, said about Estridge coming out. These were limited. These were, these were the gadget guys. These were the guys who were not complete NFL wide receivers that in the second round – if you're drafting such a limited role and they're not comparable to Rondell Moore because Rondell we like thought could do more than that. These guys had to be just that. And I think you're seeing it with Eskridge. He has 57 yards on the year. Um, not been great. Not been great. Trey Brown, though. You Trey Brown not, flashes, not Trey Norwood. Trey Brown, who's go. played over 250 snaps this team this year. Yeah, he made some starts for them before, I believe, getting hurt and looked good in them. I was like impressed. Eight of 17 targets are only 75 yards. Across 255 snaps, the guy was playing some ball. Uh, so I, I think that if you're getting excited about any Seahawks pick, it's that one. They have had UDFA Jack Curran taking snaps now at left tackle, playing 34.2 pass blocking grade, though, looking like, well, UDFA, sadly. A couple more teams here on this list. The infamous – oh, no, that was it. Just one more team, the 49ers. 49ers. They've had a lot. They've had a lot of guys on this like day two, day three list that have actually like played snaps for them. I think there was some but excitement. not like the early ones they drafted. Yeah, they, they have two of the scariest ones on this list of guys who should be playing more. And Aaron Banks, their second rounder at guard, mm -hmm. and Trey Sermon, the running back, who literally got lapped by fucking seemingly like dudes off the street at running back. I don't know why he couldn't see. Dude, the he's field. in he's in that doghouse right now. Doghouse. Yeah, the, the Shanahan doghouse is not what you want to be in, but he's been in it. But Aaron Banks looked awful in the preseason and another guy who you know coming out of Notre Dame he was not a top 100 player on the Notre Dame on the Notre Dame board <laughs> on the Notre Dame homers draft board here 48th overall we were scared about him uh should being able to see the field he just like was a not so fleet of foot even for a guard and he's played five snaps this year um not and they've had issues along their offensive line that he could have seen the field if he was, you know, playing any sort of good football. It's 48th overall. You expect that guy at the guard position to be able to step in right away. So that one's concerning. The Trey Sermon pick's concerning. Elijah Mitchell, though, looks sweet at running back. Like, if you flip the Elijah Mitchell and the Trey Sermon pick, it looks a lot better because Elijah Mitchell looks like a legitimate kind of home run hitter at that position. Mm, 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 mm. Bus that's, watch, that's bus it. watch, 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 whiff watch, and first round lock. That is 32 teams. That was a grind, but I like that. I was having a good time. We should go back and look at every draft class 2021, 2020, and just like do this inch by inch, row by row as we go forward. Uh, before we 1996. Get, <laughs> before we get into the watch, watch, whiff, bus, and first round lock, last sponsor, Western and Southern. Want a chance to win the ultimate game day fees, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with us asking questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Allen Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate fees to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500. 
coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for the answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Washed watch, bust watch, other bust watch. Let's start with bust watch. This is too early, Mike. No. Nope. This is too early. It's not too this early. is too early. Here we go. Say it. Kyle Pitts? Kyle Pitts. Yep. So, Kyle Pitts has 949 yards on the season. He is going to go over 1,000 yards as a rookie. Care to guess how many times Antonio Gates, likely first ballot Hall of Famer, has gone for over 1,000 yards in his career? Two. Twice. Antonio Gates has done it twice. He's about to do it his first year, but it's a 17-game season. Do it his first year. Well, I mean, he might, should, he might do it next week. Yeah, it's 16 true. games. True. He only needs 51 yards to do so. Now, I think it also brings up a conversation of how I, – I want to do this because I think it'll, like I said, bring up a conversation of how tight ends will be treated by the Hall of Fame going forward because it's not the same era. Like Kyle Pitts is not doing what Antonio Gates did. Antonio Gates' production was unprecedented for what the tight end role was back then, but I think the tight end role has materially changed to where I think in the future tight ends should have to put up like wide receiver numbers to be accounted for in the Hall of Fame. Like, I'm not putting, like, through whatever, three years now, TJ Hawkinson's numbers are looking like Antonio Gates' numbers from a yardage perspective. I'm not putting fucking TJ Hawkinson in the Hall of Fame because of that. I, I think we're going to have to look at these yardage totals. And now 949 for even a rookie wide receiver would be dope. And saying these, like, Kyle Pitts better put up wide receiver numbers or guys, tight ends coming out now, better be putting up 1,200, 1,300 yards a year if they want to be considered a Hall of Famer not just 808 tutties. I will say how he's winning, and I think you kind of hinted that, right? Like how he's winning is probably what more people need to pay attention to, right? Like he's like this fucking dynamic weapon already at 21 years old. Like he's not just a rookie, right? Like he is yeah. young as hell, 6'6", six 240. Six, like everyone, he entered the league with high expectations. Everyone thought he was like the, like the best rookie tight end prospect I think anyone's ever seen. And yeah. he has delivered in and out. And like he's been the offense. Calvin Ridley has not played. Julio Jones is no longer there. He has been like the guy to go to. I mean, 102 yards against Detroit, 77 against San Francisco, multiple games over 100 yards this season. Kyle Pitts has been phenomenal. It's just crazy to put people on the Hall of Fame watch as rookies. Mike I'm not Parsons ready for it. Mike Parsons, Cal Pitts. Those are the I'm only two I've done so far. I also love how they're using him. A ton in the slot, over 223 snaps played in the slot. He's also have over 150 snaps played out wide. Like they are using him as they should be using him, right? Only 100 snaps played at inline tight end. I think Kyle Pitts, man, they need some more help offensively before like he's playing in a playoff game anytime soon. But he has been uh, phenomenal. I'm going to pump the brakes on the Hall of Fame watch, but I, I am excited about Kyle Pitts. Other bus watch. Okay, on the other bus watch. I think I've done this one already. <laughs> I'm excited. I like with, this one. I did this running backs before. This one's just the other tight ends that got drafted. The first tight end. You want to hear the first tight end off the board the last four years. So the guys who are on their rookie deals. Can't wait. Cole Komet. Yikes. TJ Hawkinson, who we just mentioned. who He's been good. He's been whatever. 61 catches, 583 yards, four touchdowns this season. If that's a wide receiver, though, that's, that's the thing. It's like if you drafted a wide receiver in the top 10 and that's what he put up, you would be like, that's horseshit. Yeah. You know, like that's awful. So I think that's how we have to judge tight ends going forward. I think there needs to be better conversation. I think we can drive a lot of this too about like, like tight end value as blockers, right? Because like yeah. I, people are like, well, he's a blocker too. Like he does a lot. But like receivers block too, and so and that is a part of it as well. It's becoming more. Yeah. It's, it's people you know stretch the field exactly. and stuff. So uh, Hayden Hurst was the first one year prior to that, uh, and OJ Howard. 
Um, and then the other first round tight ends over that fan were over that span were Noah Fant, Evan Ingram, David Joku. That's not a good track right now. We and haven't had a lot of point. Noah Fant discourse on this podcast. I think we were like originally Noah Fant haters, right? We talked a lot about his ball skills, approached the ball poorly. He only has one drop this year, has not graded terribly so far this season. 562 yards, 61 receptions. I don't think he's the player that people thought he was coming out of Iowa, right? Like he ran yeah. that fast time to, you know, like a really low 40 at six foot six four two fifty. Not the 20th overall player good. I mean, he's in that Hawkinson tier probably, right? I think that's yeah, where he'd probably put him fine again yeah 562 yards if you are a wide receiver which is how i think you have to start treating tight ends because you could put a wide receiver out in the field instead of one and still have a lot of the same do some same stuff in the running game you still use them as blockers like bigger wide receivers nowadays so yeah there's not a lot of good track record to say hey draft a tight end early on and like i said all draft season with Cal Pitts. If you're going to draft tight in the first round, if you're going to make me, myself, I'm going to draft tight in the first round, I better be willing to say I would draft them in the first round if they were literally just a wide receiver. You better, at, to draft a guy that highly, you better I think be able fair. to say that. I think that's fair. So that is Because, I mean, has there been any tight end that, like, factor in, like, middling receiving value that, like, comes in as a blocker and just, like, what the... F- just, like, this monster. This guy. This guy. <laughs> I mean, maybe... And, and like, as soon as, like, if you are that good as a blocker, you would be more valuable at offensive tackle, you know? Yeah. I feel like as soon as I also as that's feel like case, if you are, like, that dynamic... I mean, look at George Kittle, right? Like, he's probably, like, yeah. what, the best blocking tight end in the NFL, but, like, but that same explosiveness... Yeah, that same explosiveness, like, shows up yeah. in the receiving game, so... Yeah, like, an 11-foot broad jump Kittle was an elite athlete the fact they fell to the fifth was always insane it was because he only had like 20 receptions right like yeah. he just did not have any production in that offense regardless washed watch there this one's rude he's been washed for a while you don't gotta pour salt in the wound on this guy <sighs> all right I mean who do you you got a better one for me I, I was I had Josh I Norman a better one but like he, Josh Norman is washed but he's been washed Dude, he's, when was the last time Josh Norman was good He's like particularly washed. He has a 49.6 coverage grade. Dude, he yeah. runs probably like a 4.8 right now. He yeah. ran a 4.66 coming out and he's 34 years old. It's... Yeah, he's a shot to clear, which you love to see. In his best season, 89.9 coverage grade, it was 2015, dude. That's like six, seven years yeah. ago. All right, maybe I'd... He's been washed for a while and you just want to like dog Josh Norman. That's fine. I think Norman would be great in the booth. I think get Norman in the, on the pod. I'm going to tell David so far, our public relations guy, I would love to get Norman on the pod. He's got some stories, man. It's just prescient with him giving him a touchdown this week. All right, and the last one, with watch, Baker Mayfield. We had wow. him as number one overall. You're ready to call it? That season. I think it's safe to say we whiffed. I, I cannot believe the fall from grace that he has had after that rookie season because he was legitimately – like he was a different quarterback his rookie year, just the way he played. I, it's so weird to go back and watch those games and just like see him and how he operated and like how he attacked on the football field and just the confidence. And now like he doesn't know what the fuck he's looking at, man. The last game against the Packers was brutal to watch. It's not been the lone brutal game to watch. He's been dude. Just can bad. I read our quarterback rankings from that draft class? Yeah. Baker Mayfield was the number one overall player. Darnold. Darnold was the number two overall player. Josh Rosen was number three, number six overall player, the number three quarterback. Then we had Lamar Jackson, hey, 19th overall player. That's a dub. Mason Rudolph mm. at 25. Then Josh Allen. This is before I had draft board control, by the way. I'm just gonna the Rudolph out. over Allen is fucked. Yeah. 
actually that was QBs were not mine that year. I did. I was twenty eight. What were you? I want to look at the position ranking. Probably D line. D line. D line O line. Let's see D line. Let's see what you did. Because I loved that was Harold Landry, right? Yeah. I loved Harold Landry. So yeah, Maurice Hurst is the number three overall player. Yeah. Which is had not panned out. Mm. Harold Landry, the number twelve overall player. He's been good. He's been good. Maybe not that good. Bradley Chubb, thirteen. Solid. Vita Vea, twenty. Solid. Marcus Davenport, twenty eight. Love. Taven Bryan, choke. Deron Payne, so Jonathan Allen fist away from being out of the league. <laughs> um, and then from there, it's like, obviously, like, you got some guys, like, that have not, like, panned out, but they're top 50 players. But, I mean, mm. that's not as bad as I thought. You're a big Joe Osman guy, too. I think everyone was. People love oh, Joe Osman. He was so good. Until he, he was going to be good this year until he got hurt. Fire so. up chips. All right. That's first round be, lock. Oh, Last we're going to have first round lock. And then we got interviews with Barton Emerson and our guy, George Karloftis. All right. 18 guys already, adding a 19th, and it's going to be Clemson cornerback Andrew Booth. Really? It's going to be Clemson cornerback. Wow. He's been ended the season on a high note, two picks, three pass breakups in his last two games. He's got the NFL body type, love his feet. Even if, you know, he got beat a few times this year, I, I think he's going to be a first rounder pretty comfortably. There you go. I'm up to 19. Dude, 19 first round locks. I hope you hit on all of them. I, I really know. do. I really do. It's going to be a fun draft. Yeah. Let's get to these interviews Martin Emerson, Mississippi State, and then George Karloftis of Purdue. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Mississippi State cornerback Martin Emerson. Mark, great to have you on the show. Had some recording troubles to start, but where we were talking before this recording had to restart, you're back home for the holidays. Talk to me about the food. Talk to me about the experience. How excited are you? You back to be with the family? Very excited to be with the family. You know, the best times, the holidays. Christmas is my favorite holiday, so just seeing everybody smile. Looking forward to it. Open a present, seeing my little cousin run around. You know. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. man. Very cool. Uh, it go, turning back the clocks a little bit, I want to talk about your recruiting process. You were a former three-star recruit from Pine Forest. I see you repping Pine Forest now. Had some offers to stay in state, right? Miami was offering FIU, but you ultimately make the decision to go to Mississippi State. What all went into that recruiting process and also kind of ultimately what you know, got you to the decision to go to Mississippi State? Okay. Um, well, actually, a lot of people don't know my 10th grade year. At the end of my 10th grade year, Mississippi State was my first offer. So I built a, a relationship with Terrell Buckley. I built a relationship with Terrell Buckley for like the past two years. And it was just like genuine, you know, it was a lot of love, you know, and like they respected me. Like, I feel like I was a priority and you know they were a priority too. So and then plus just playing the SC West growing up as a kid, I was always, you know, a dream of mine playing because they say the SC West is probably the closest thing to the NFL, you know, so mm -hmm. that was just like always a dream. In Mississippi, Starkville, you know, I love the city, but it, it doesn't offer that much fun. Like, mm -hmm. It's like not too many distractions. So I kind of wanted like, you know, sacrifice some, you know, sacrifice a little, you know, just get out of my comfort zone so I can just lock in and just, you know, play ball. I think so that's, that's what, yeah, I think that's smart, right? Like going somewhere, you, know, you saw Joe Burrow recently. I'm not sure if you saw, but Joe Burrow, quarterback of the Bengals, like Cincinnati's great. There's not a lot to do. I'm able to focus on football. I'm sure Mississippi kind of similar. And then you've been, yeah. you know, you go, you go to Mississippi State, you get opportunities to appear in all 13 games as a true freshman. And then even in a COVID impacted 2020 campaign, you play over 700 snaps then. And then this past year, over 600 snaps played. You've really had an opportunity to play a ton of football, all three of your years there at Mississippi State before obviously now making the decision to go to the draft. I'd love to hear more about 
how you feel your game has developed over those three years, right? You had a really good year in 2020 and then another really good year in 2021. Where would you say your game has improved the most? And what do you feel are some of the biggest driving factors in that? Um, I would say just knowing football, you know, down and distance, just like, just, just feeling the game. Sometimes, like my freshman year, I was just played off, you know, athletic ability. I, I didn't really know what was going on so much. I really didn't even know the playbook all the way, honestly. Like <laughs> yeah. my coach had like certain signals like that I would understand. So that was just like for me and my, our other freshman cornerback. So, yeah, but just like learning defense, you know, learning like tendency of the team, because football is simple. Like, no, any level, I feel like it's still simple, still football. So just, mm-hmm. just thinking the game out, you know, not thinking too much, but just thinking the game and just playing what I see, you know, being confident. I feel like I grow in that, in that uh, aspect a lot. I'm sure your your film habits have changed a ton since getting to Mississippi State, right? Freshman year, you're getting calls from the sideline. But as you've progressed, you've started to, you know, add different routines to how you watch film. Speak to what it looks like when you turn on the film. What tendencies do you look for? What do you turn on when you're looking at opposing receivers and stuff like that? Um, the favorite route, you know, the favorite route. Um, down distance, you know, it's like a lot of plays that certain teams run. Like down distance, okay, and I, I I like how this I like I look at um, how they play when they're not getting the ball, how they play like when they are getting the ball. Um, just a lot of tendencies, you know. It's just like a mm-hmm. lot of little things like you pick up on. Also, obviously the coach, you know, he he, he point out the old tendencies too, so that helped out a lot too. But um, yeah, I just try to like break down every aspect of the game, you know, the best part to the worst, and then just study that. And you mentioned, you know, playing in the SEC West is the closest thing like playing into the NFL. You've had three years now to go against some of the top receivers in the SEC. Are there some names that come to mind when you think about some of the best challenges you've had in the SEC or maybe some of the matchups that you've learned the most from? Best challenges. Um, best challenges. I mean, you, play, you, you played that 2019 LSU team, that 2020 yeah, family. You played some really talented receivers. Yeah, I, I lined up against Justin Jefferson, you know, uh, Chase a couple of that years. I mean, that, that was my first start, actually, 2019. So, yeah, I lined up against those guys. Um, it was cool, but, like, the, the matchup, if I can say just one receiver mm-hmm. that I was just locked in, I would say um, 2020 George Pitton game. Mm-hmm. When we went to um, Georgia. Like, that game was, like, Talk to that's probably like my favorite game like in college like it was just it was great like they, they targeted me a lot you know a lot of teams kind of they really don't target me that much they target me a lot they were trying to get them ball probably every play so like I was just locked in you know it was like a fun game that is an insane game a game I wanted to bring up you had nine nine targets five receptions allowed for 21 yards and four passes defense according to PFF that is quite the game uh, against Georgia too that is one that's probably the solo. <laughs> that, that 11 solo tackles. Yeah, true. I mean, you were, I mean, that's the tape, you know, when you talk about this pre-draft process, right? Coaches are going to be turning on that tape first and foremost, going to be one of more of your impressive tapes in that, um, in this pre-draft process. I want to speak more to the pre-draft process, maybe a little bit later, but to start, let's stay at Mississippi state and talk to about the relationship you have with Mike Leach, right? Leach is a, a polarizing guy. I've had other players that have played with him before or played for him before and had told me stories they can't even get recorded, right? He does some crazy yeah. shit, man. That guy's a wild dude. Speak to the relationship you have with him and I guess how you feel he's changing the culture for the better at Mississippi State. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad, you know, Leach is the head coach. He, um, he most definitely changed the culture, you know. I wish he'd run the ball just a little bit more, but, 
Well, I love Coach Leach, man. He just, you know, he's um, he's a blunt guy, you know, and you know he um, not gonna change for anybody. So, you know, he come to work and then he come to work every day. I just, I like his vibe. You know, he kind of like more of an offensive coach, you know. So, mm-hmm. we don't get to, like interact with him so much, but I like him. He's a good yeah. guy, great coach. That's great. I heard great coach on and off the field, which is awesome. Now entering this pre-draft process, how has the early part of this gone, right? Like I know speaking to a lot of players over the past few years, this is freaking hectic, man. You got interview after interview, you're training for the combine pro day, all these different things. How has this process, at least the start of it gone for you? And I guess how excited are you to get into the heat of this process when really things start to ramp up? Yeah, man, I'm excited, man. You know, I'm so anxious. Like, I'm just ready to get to work, you know, and just show everybody what I, you know, what I'm capable of. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it has been hectic. You know, it's a lot going on, but it's just, you know, just keep it, staying afloat, just keep your head on straight. You know, it's fun, though. You know, I'm ready for it. You know, everything new. So mm-hmm. I'm just taking it, you know, day by day, really. Are, are there any, like, former Mississippi State players that have, like, gone on to the NFL that you still have good relationships with that you've talked to them about this process with? Like, any, like, mentors or things like that? I know dancers are part of that process. But I guess anyone like that that you still talk to and have talked through through this process so far? Yeah, Dessler. Yeah, Dessler, That's my guy, man. That's, like, really like my brother. So I talk to him a lot. Cam okay, Dessler. Um, you know, sometimes Slay, he reached out, you know, uh, Darius Slay. But, you know, he's way older than me. So, yeah. But. Like Cam, that like that's my guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cameron Dancer had a wild pre-draft process, right? He enters this COVID-impacted situation where there isn't a combine. He's got to go pro. Day Willie Gay also, yeah, Willie oh, Gay. True. I, I can't, but he, you know he don't, he don't play the same position as me. But yeah, me and Gay, you know he. I like uh-huh. talking to him. I'll say this. Willie Gay might be one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. I sat down with him at the combine when he was coming out and so genuine, such a nice dude. And that was right in that time where everyone was like, Oh, he got suspended and he wasn't playing a lot. And he's like, he like, he had, um, you know, he got in a fight with someone or whatever. And like a lot of people were doubting Willie Gay, but dude blew up the combine. Now is starting for the Kansas city chiefs. That guy has had a hell of a turnaround from pre-draft expectations, right? A lot of people tagged him as this like bad off field dude when actually he's obviously stud. Not at all, you know. You know, he, you know, he had his, you know, he had his things going on, but he wasn't a bad guy at all. So, you know. yeah, I think I think the truth came out with him for sure. I think he's been phenomenal so far. Or have you set any goals or kind of like expectations for yourself for this process? Right, like some guys go into this like looking to add weight, looking to add speed, do specific things, or like you thinking about that at all? Or are you kind of still early and not haven't haven't really thought that through yet? Um. Yeah, it's kind of still early, but mm-hmm. of course, like, you know, skill position, I just want to run as fast as possible. You know, mm-hmm. that's like my goal, just run the fast as possible. So, cause, you know, a lot of people, they want to see how fast I run. You know, I play defense, I'm a cornerback. So, yeah, just run as fast as possible. Where where are you planning to train or who are you planning to train with? I know some guys go down to Dallas for Exos and different things like that. What's your plans there? Yeah, yeah I'm going to be in uh, Phoenix, mm-hmm. Arizona for Exos. So, yeah, I'm training there. I, I can't speak highly – I can't speak high enough on Exos, man. The amount of players I've talked to that have either gone to Phoenix or Dallas and have had success with Exos is like tens, if not like hundreds of players that go down there. So I'm sure yeah. you should be looking forward to that opportunity. It would be a fun one for sure. Um, yeah. More into kind of what you're bringing to the NFL and I guess your expectations for yourself for the NFL. Speak to the, the, the type of cornerback that you are. You turn on the tape, very you – know, there's some polish to your game. There's some instincts to your game that you've seen develop over the past few years. But what do you feel like – is unique to your game that kind of separates you from maybe other cornerbacks in this class? Um, just my size, you know, uh, my mm-hmm. physicality. I'm real physical, you know, at the point of attack. Um, 
I can press man, you know, I can, I can play off, just versatile, you know, I can play zone or I can man up, you know, my side of the field. I just feel like, you know, I, I can do everything, you know, I, I'm not just like, just can't label me as a certain type of corner because I can do it all, you know. I just try to like, I try to, you know, be versatile as possible and and be ready for any situation that, you know, opposing uh, offense may put me in or my coach may need me to be for that game. So. I just try to be versatile. Yeah, I think the size is what's going to really stand out for a lot of people. Six foot two, two hundred. Is that what you what you played at this past year around that two hundred range, or did you go over under? Uh, yeah, I was like at one ninety eight to two hundred two. So awesome. yeah, awesome man. Well, that is some exciting stuff. I I really appreciate you jumping on the show, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thanks again. Yes, sir. Thank you. Now joining the tailgate podcast is current Purdue defensive end, one of the top edge defenders in the country, top edge defenders in this upcoming draft, George Karloftis. George, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Dude, you are West Lafayette, born and raised, and go to Purdue, become one of the legends at Purdue, one of the most productive players they have ever seen. I am sure you are so stoked to enter this pre-draft process, having had the fact that you did on Purdue, right? Purdue is a program that is changing its culture, changing how it approaches games. I think you were a big part of that. I guess looking back a little bit, I know it's early, but looking back a little bit on just the effect that you had on Purdue and how excited you are for the future there, I'd love to hear just what you feel Purdue is, Purdue's outlook is having been there now. Yeah, you know, it's Purdue went through a through a rough patch in the early 2010s and, and you know, for, for a whole decade there, you know. So I think, you know, being a Purdue fan my whole life and, uh, you know, being from here and all that kind of stuff, you know, the, the mission for me at least, and I know for, for that entire 2019 class with guys like David Bell and Milton Wright, Cam Allen, Jalen Graham, I'd go down the line. You know, the mission was to kind of change the narrative on Purdue football and make it, you know, uh, a, a staple and a very, very consistent program uh, in the Big Ten, the Big Ten West. You know, I think, I think that's starting. I think that, you know, I think that process is, is, is beginning now. And, uh, you know, I think we have a really bright future as a program. Absolutely. I think you obviously were a big part of that. And go, but to turn back the clocks a little bit before we get into this season and kind of the pre-draft process ahead, you were an, uh, an insane high school athlete, right? I think you saw you're on the Greek national water polo team at 13 years old, two-time right. Indiana state champion uh, in, in shot put, and then also played for the basketball team. What, what all sports did you play as a kid? And I guess, when did you start really honing in on football as kind of this go-to sport for you? Shoot. I mean, girl, growing up, uh, I did just about everything. You know, I was actually, I was actually born and raised in Greece mm -hmm. up until I was 13 years old. Oh, so my, gotcha. my, my, my dad was from here. My, my dad was from there. My mom was from West Lafayette. So I'd spend, you know, three, four months out of the year here and I'd go to school in Greece, you know, so I had a little bit of a different, uh, a different upbringing than most people. So over there, I, you know, I did track and field, grew up doing track and field. That was my, that was my first love. I did windsurfing. I tried tennis, volleyball, uh, swimming, water polo was what I loved to do there, you know, and I, you know, after my father passed away, I, I also played soccer, but after my father passed away, we moved back here. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I was, I was obsessed with watching Shaquille O'Neal basketball highlights. I thought that guy was <laughs> cool. It's kind of wanted to be like him. Um, you know, so I started out with basketball and, you know, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm six, four, and I'm probably not going to get much taller. So, uh, you know, I saw a lot of my friends playing football and I, 
why don't I give it a try for the, for the, for the social aspect might, might be something I'm good at. I'm big. I'm athletic. Why not? Well, I try it a couple years later, pans out pretty well for me. And, uh, slowly but surely, uh, started falling absolutely in love with this game. That so. is phenomenal, man. I, I think everyone on the planet that has watched Shaquille O'Neal play is obsessed with watching Shaquille O'Neal highlights. He is, no doubt. A, he no is doubt. an insane, he is an insane basketball player, obviously was in his prime. I'm glad you stuck to football though, man. You are obviously a phenomenal football player. I didn't realize, I knew you were, you know, I, the West Lafayette stuff, I knew like that was like where, like your hometown, something you call it. I didn't realize that you were also born in Greece and spent a boat majority there. That had to have been a yeah. phenomenal experience as a kid to get both. No doubt. Makes no sense. doubt. Sure. And, Go, I, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I'm sure the food at the Karloftis household has to be incredible. I need to hear more about what you guys are cooking <laughs> up for Christmas. Yeah, and I, I like to do a lot of the cooking myself. I, you know, just about everything. Now that I, I just, I've been in Indiana for a good part of my life and, you know, hunting is big out here. So there's venison on the grill a lot over wow. here and meat and potatoes a lot of the time. But, you know, try to try to still have that that athletes diet a lot of the time so there's there's a lot of good things cooking over here gotcha i thought we'd be getting some some baklava reformers here and stuff like that but i guess it's just meat potatoes oh, carlos well there, there's that there's that too there's that too don't get me wrong um <laughs> had some had some last night actually not gonna lie um but you know that there, there's a lot there's a lot i have a pretty diverse background with kind of being both i have dual citizenship so i'm, I'm technically greek american mm-hmm. um you know, and that's kind of been like a, my, my life story, really. It's like pretty well versed in just about everything. I'm, I'm naturally bilingual. So I speak, I'm fluent in both languages. I learned them both growing up. Uh, I played a bunch of sports growing up, which I attribute, you know, a lot of the different movements I can have and different, you know, ways I can move and, 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 and apply power and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, just, just about everything, you know, it's about, it's about, uh, you know, that diversity and, and, and being able to do multiple things. Yeah. I mean, that range, right. As a, yeah. as, a as a kid to have that, you know, that much experience with different sports and different cultures and all that stuff has to have such a positive effect on what you're able to do on the football no field and your athleticism. Let's speak a little bit to that. I would love to hear you talk more about kind of your preparation, right? There's reports out from the athletic that, you know, you went at 272 pounds, you dropped from 25% to 15% body weight at Purdue over the course of your career, power clean 380, 505 pound uh, front squat, 10-1 broad, 37 inch vertical. And you're going to test in the, the four sixes in the 40 yard dash. Some of these numbers at six foot four, 270 pounds are <laughs> absolutely absurd. Yeah. I need to hear more yeah. about where you're testing now. How this, you know, what, what are you at 15% body weight still? How much has the baklava set in on that? And I guess speak to just the, the, you know, how excited you are to enter this, you know, this preparation for all this athletic testing, I'm sure looking ahead to things like the combine, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, you know, a lot of the time I attribute, you know, the testing and, and the athleticism, you got to attribute a lot of it to the genetics and how God made you, you know, <laughs> you know, with, without that, you know, you can't, you can't go super far, but you know, it's a lot of it's hard work and, you know, something that, 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 you know, I, I don't talk about too much is water polo. You know, I think a lot of my explosiveness and athletic ability comes from my lower half, you know, I have really strong legs. And I think that came from treading water for two hours a day for, Absolutely. for four or five years of my life, you know, so, so that's what it's been about now, you know, I, that, those numbers, all you read were preseason. So, you know, you go into the season, you gain a little bit of weight. I think I got out at maybe like 278 out, out of the season. So a little bit heavier, you know, you add some weight, you know, 
it's a long season and all that kind of stuff. You're not training constantly and you, you need those extra pounds, but you know, I haven't tested so far. I'm down in, in Dallas at the, at the Exos down there and it's been great, but haven't, haven't tested anything so far. I know my body fat right now, I think I'm at 268 ish right now. Um, my body fat's right around, like right at 14. So, so that's been pretty good, but really excited, really excited to get into this journey. I know I'm going to, I'm going to work my tail off and, you know, hope for the best come, come combine on the pro day. Exos. I, I mean, I've done some of this pre-draft stuff for a while now. That is one of the top, you know, programs in the country, right. For these, for this yeah. process. So I'm sure those guys will be put in a really good position to succeed when it comes to testing time. So excited that you're already down there and making moves. Other part of this article that I love and Bruce Feldman of the athletic puts together this freaks list article every year. We've had him on the podcast. Love what he does. Yeah. As part, I'm going to read this to you. As part of his preparation, he spends an hour a day doing hand-to-hand combat and MMA drills, an hour of rehab and mobility, and then a third hour watching film. I got two questions off of that. When did you start doing the hand-to-hand combat? And I guess how much does that help you with your pass rush moves, right? Like that's got to yeah. be a major reason why you're put, focusing on that. And then that third hour watching film, I always love talking to prospects about what they prioritize when they turn on the film. What exactly do you look for when you turn on an opposing offense to tackle an opposing offense? What tendencies, what things are you trying to pick apart when you turn on the film? Yeah, well, so so, so that, you know, that, that just depends on if it's in season or out of season. I'll start out with a little bit of a story. So I got... I got to Purdue and I wasn't, I wasn't nearly ready to play college football. You know, I knew that I'm going to have to work my butt off in order to be able to, to play and contribute as a freshman, you know? Um, so I knew I had to work hard um, in that, you know, I, I knew that my hands weren't there. I, my, my hips weren't there, my ankles, and I didn't have enough knowledge of the game. So I kind of got in this routine where the lift would, would get done, whether I wanted some extra, whether or not, and I'd, I'd get with uh, the then assistant, now our head strength coach, Don McReno, and we'd work hands, you know, whether that was true MMA, uh, MMA type hand combat stuff, or whether that was 100% applicable to football with footwork involved and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, my, my girlfriend's uncle actually was in the UFC for a while. He was in Bellator, just recently retired. His name Matt Mitrione, and he was a Purdue alum also. Uh, so he worked with us a lot. And, um, you know, that, that, that was that for the MMA, MMA and hand, hand combat, just, just figuring out, you know, those intricacies of playing with your hands as a defensive end is huge. You know, they say a lot of the time, beat the hands, beat the man. And I think that's true for the most part, you know, and a, a, after, after I do that, it'd be usually after a lift. And um, then I'd head in the training room and work on my mobility, get my body hundred uh, percent and my hips and my ankles with a focus, uh, you know, on mobility and, in prehab, basically trying to prevent any sort of injury I could. And then after that, you know, I'd get in the film room, you know, just go upstairs on the second floor where our defensive line room is and just grind it out. You know, if it was, if it was in season, I would, uh, I kind of have like a little schedule that I'd go through. So like Monday, you know, I'd figure out, you know, just watch a general overview of the team. Right. So then on Tuesday, I'd figure out what, what they're doing exactly in terms of their run game and hone in on that. Wednesday was all third down type stuff, more of the pass protection. Mm-hmm. And I'd watch a lot of NFL guys, you know, to see kind of what they're doing and, and all that kind of stuff. Thursday was kind of like, okay, now you know exactly what they're doing. Kind of test yourself Fridays, obviously. Just cleaning stuff up in the details. Now, when it came to, to out-of-season film watching, you know, I'm big on, you know, what, obviously what I do in – 
you know, I like to base uh, my game off of power, but I think I also have really good hands and some, some speed and some quickness, some change of direction and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, I try to try to look at other guys, whether that's guys that are pretty similar to me in terms of how they play, how they move. Like, you know, I think I'm pretty similar to, to Cam Jordan in some ways. I think I'm pretty similar to Ryan Kerrigan and others. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and J.J. Watt. But, you know, I think, you know, a couple guys I like to watch are the Bosa brothers, obviously the way they use their hands and how they move and how they bay offensive tackles. So, you know, watching just about every major NFL pass rusher, you know, uh, and, and kind of picking some stuff from their game and trying to apply it to mine. You know, I think the, the guy I've probably watched the most, and I think I, I have the most similar game to is Khalil Mack. You know, some, and I don't, I don't, you know, I talk to like my coach or something, I, I say, yeah, I watch a lot of Khalil Mack. You know, you don't think about it when you, but when, actually when you watch it, I think I play pretty similar. He's, he's big in the speed to power, which mm-hmm. is a lot of what I like to do. Um, and winning with some speed, winning with some hands, some inside moves. You know, so when I watch these veterans, these guys that are the best at what they do, um, it's really about picking up what they're doing and trying to apply it to my game, stuff I do like, stuff I don't, seeing how they win and, you know, trying to, to replicate it and, and also make it my own. So Khalil Mack, I think, is a, is a great comparison. He's a little bit lighter than you, I believe, but you see a lot of the speed to power with Khalil Mack and where he really developed as a pass rusher because year one, he was not – phenomenal in that regard but year two year three is the hands right he, he used yeah. he worked his hands so well has always been stout against the run I think that comparison I think I've seen the Bosa brothers compared similar weight as you right in that 270 range Kerrigan yeah. you know Purdue legend I think that's another good one as well I think all that stuff is really good so I I, I mean turning on NFL tape I was going to ask you if there are guys you watch it's awesome that you are picking different things from these guys a name I hear a lot for one specific move the cross chop is unique in Gakwe if you want to master the cross chop getting unique yeah. in Gakwe's tape on is yeah. No doubt. Yeah, I've watched some of him and I've watched it more on Twitter than on actual on the film, just grind it out in the film room. You know, that that's a move that's it seems pretty cool and, and you know it works a lot, but it's such a hard move to master. Absolutely. You know, we, we always try to do it in practice, and that just learning it and doing it a couple of times is not not enough because it's really complicated, but when you get it down, it's it's powerful, that's for sure. 100%. Max Crosby for the Raiders, too, has been phenomenal this year. A guy that's added a ton of weight since Cal. Love how he playing. plays. Love, yeah. love how he plays. He plays with swagger. He's loose, and he's also really explosive, and he's long, long strides, long guy, and he, he, he can do just about everything. So I love, I love to watch him play. Actually, he played against us the year before I got uh, to Purdue uh, against Eastern Michigan. I think he tore us up but <laughs> <laughs> he was he was awesome at eastern michigan man he played my i went to san diego state he played our aztecs one one week and we got uh, we got brutalized by max crosby he was dominant in college let's focus on your dominance in college man we've been talking a lot about pre-purdue and your athleticism what you eat the baklava this past year man you were absolutely phenomenal for purdue an 87.2 pff grade 90.6 pass rusher grade one of the if not the most impressive pass rusher in college football all of this year consistent consistent week in and week out you see that work ethic that attention to detail really show up every single week did it feel like a breakout year for you you've always been an uber productive player for Purdue you've you know since so you year one you played over 800 snaps for the team and had 55 total pressures but did this yeah. year feel different for you did you really feel like you put it all together because oh. I think that's what it looked like on tape I think to a certain extent yes now when you say breakthrough you know I felt like this is the absolute best I played on film and, you know, mm-hmm. something a lot of the, a lot of people that are not, aren't, aren't really 
you know, fo football people notice, you know, the, the stats, but some that we talk about internally is, you know, how, how can you affect the quarterback, right? How can you stop the run? And I feel like I, I, I've been the cleanest on that, that I ever have been. And I've passed rush the best I have been, you know, obviously you'd like to have a bunch of plays back, but you can't do that. Um, you know, I think, and I think I contributed a lot because of the attention I was getting, um, whether I was a triple team or a double team, a couple chippers and, and, and whatnot to the, to the team success. You know, I didn't, you know, I know my freshman year, we talk about 800 snaps and, you know, I, you know, I think this year we only played like 55 to 60 snaps a game. So we didn't have, so, cause we were a pretty, pretty solid, pretty solid outfit, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think that that helped our defense out a lot, you know, and I, you know, I'll, I'll sacrifice my stats for an eight and four season at Purdue any day. Absolutely. Yeah. You guys are obviously phenomenal this year. A lot of what Brahm is building, right? Brahm is building something yes. special in West Lafayette. You're a big part of that. Your brother's a big part of that. I want to get to him when we close. Looking ahead awesome. to this draft season, you know, what are your goals or kind of what are your expectations entering this period, right? It is a very hectic period. You're going to be doing interviews like these. You're going to be talking to teams, talking to coaches, training, combine, yeah. bowl season, all that stuff. I guess, if you, what do you, what mindset are you entering this pre-draft process with? And I guess, what are your goals and your expectations for yourself as you go through this like next four month period that will legitimately be like a big, long interview, right? Yeah. So, you know, I had, had these past three years at Purdue, you know, with, with the, with the goal in mind of becoming the highest draft pick I possibly can be. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think, I think this whole process is about maximizing my grade and, and showing what I'm all about to these teams. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, a lot of, you know, not a lot of guys, but like, I, I think in the past people have came in with the, I've made it mentality. And for yeah. me, it's like, no, like I have so much work to do. You know, I'm coming in with the same mentality I've always had ready to work, eager, eager to learn and, and become the best version of myself. I can be both on and off the field. You know, for me now it's about a lot of mobility work, a lot of speed work, uh, you know, and, and honing in on the little details, little muscles in your body and learning a lot of things, you know, becoming a better football player on and off the field, whether it's in the, it's on the grease board or, you know, on the field with technique, you know, yeah. it's, it's really about just becoming a pro. Now you don't have school, you don't have classes, you don't have academic meetings. Your job is to be a professional football player and to be the best version of, at that. So, so it's, it's putting in all the time, all the, all my effort and, you know, all my focus into becoming the best possible football player I can be. And if your work at Purdue is any indication or any like, you know, leading factor of what that's going to look like, I think you're going to have a phenomenal time in this pre-draft process. Let's close with this, George. Really appreciate the time. Oh, for sure. The Karloftises are not leaving Purdue. You may be going to the draft, but the Karloftis is staying. No. Yanni is someone I think everyone in West Lafayette and even in the country are excited to see continue to develop at Purdue. Speak to your brother's talents where you feel like he wins and obviously where you feel like he has the most opportunity to improve to fill some big shoes you're leaving in Purdue. Yeah. Well, you know, really excited about Yanni and, you know, at, at that I have a younger sister and I have another younger brother. So hopefully they, they both choose to come to Purdue. <laughs> now, now with, with Yanni, his, his, his path, his journey is a little different than mine. Uh, he came into Purdue enrolled early, just like me, but he came in injured from the season with the pretty, the pretty bad hamstring injury. So his, his whole first six months really was focused on rehab, you know, or, whereas mine was focused on becoming a better football player. So he was a little hindered by that. Um, didn't get, didn't get a lot of PT this year for, for a lot of different reasons, but he's looking for a really strong year too, you know, for him, 
he he has a nose for the ball. He knows he knows where the ball is going to go, and he loves to hit. He's physical. He's aggressive, and uh, I think he's a really really good pass rusher at that too. So he, he's versatile because he can drop and he can rush the passer. And you know, I think he's going to be a really good football player for this team. Hell yeah, man! Well, I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck in this pre-draft process. And have a happy holiday with your family. Thank you. You too. George Karloftis's background is insane. Growing up, like split between West Lafayette, Indiana, and then Greece. So nuts. Dude, dual citizenship. What an awesome dude. Great interview, Emerson, as well. Until next time, that's going to do it. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, tailgate.